tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the show uh, today. Coming up uh, this morning, uh, we'll cover the parking and roadwork issues in Cashel. We have a GP's reaction to the OECD report on COVID deaths. Uh, we'll talk about immigration and uh, indeed refugees once again following the discovery of migrants in a freezer container in Rosslare. We have some advice from our listeners on our Agony Aunt letters, the latest updates from the Gardaí, and another episode of Hidden Histories with uh, Dr. Connor Reedy. Also, we'll be speaking to Alton Nesbeth, our gardener. So if you have some gardening queries, uh, will you log them with us as soon as you can, please, on 83 you can email at any time, and that's tip today at tipfm.com. Quick look at some of your front pages today. The Irish Examiner leading with that uh, story that investigations are underway after the discovery of 14 people, including two children, in a refrigerated trailer on board a lorry uh, which arrives at Rosslare uh, Port. Also on the front of the Examiner today, the former manager of University Hospital Waterford, credited with slashing trolley numbers there, is being promoted to uh, HSE National Director of Acute Hospitals. Uh, The Irish Independent, and they're leading with the story that nursing home residents will be able to keep all income raised from renting homes as of uh, of next month. But the Junior Health Minister, Mary Butler, is rather concerned about the move, uh, which may result in people being prematurely Um, admitted into care. Now, the Cabinet made the decision to change the terms of the Fair Deal scheme uh, before Christmas. However, um, uh, Mary Butler was not consulted on the final decision and she's insisting that she would not have proceeded with uh, the plan. Uh, The front of the window dominated by a picture of the late Sinead O'Connor and um, uh, they're talking there about a special tribute show to her uh, which will take place in Carnegie Hall but the UK coroner has decided that uh, Sinead died of natural causes the Irish Times and uh, they're leading with the the climate change story Uh, last year broke the record for the hottest year by a huge margin uh, providing dramatic testimony of how much warmer and more dangerous today's climate is from the colder one in which human civilization developed according to leading uh, climate scientists but a lot of uh, a lot of opposition to those findings all over the uh, plat- various platforms last night. Um, also on the front page of the Times today, Jared O'Brien, the former circuit court, uh, court uh, judge who has been convicted of sexually assaulting six males, is still eligible for his judge's pension. And Mr O'Brien's resignation was confirmed by the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, at the weekend, and it follows his conviction uh, last month, uh, indeed. Um, let's have a look at the Irish Daily Mail. And again, their story making reference there to the migrants who were stowed away 
uh, on that uh, trip to Ireland in a hidden compartment of a refrigerated trailer making that 999 call for help as they started to struggle for breath. So that's what's making headlines today. Do you want to make a comment on any of that? And if you do, once again, 083 311 Now, there's a lot of uh, frustration in recent days for motorists in Cashel after a mistake in the light sequencing led to delays for many motorists on the Care Road in Cashel and Tipperary uh, TD. Cashel-based Martin Brown joins me now. Martin, good morning to you. Morning, Frank. Morning to listeners and Happy New Year to you all. And Frank, just before we start, could we just ask people to be very careful on the roads this morning. There is black ice, especially in shaded areas. Just to give themselves that extra bit of time if they're travelling. Yeah, because I was travelling into Cashel myself this morning, Martin. People definitely need to take care on, on those roads there. I presume you, you got a lot of people making contact with you about what's happening there on the Care Road, uh, Martin, last week. Uh, we've had we've had people contact us uh, through the phone and through the office, Brian, about their road works. Uh, look at the sequence of the lights. I didn't notice that in, in particular, and I'd be up and down that road. I'm, you know where I'm living. Mm. Uh, just adjacent to it that out of the ordinary, I'm travelling above in Dublin and we're used to traffic lights, I suppose. Uh, there, ha- what happened was, Fran, the roadworks, they were due to be finished at this stage, but when they tuned the um, housing complex there, we'll say the old site of Vincent Connors's, yes. and when they went tuned the roads and the water, it was discovered that the pipes weren't fit for purpose, there were the old lead pipes and all that. So <clears throat> the works has continued on longer than what had been planned but now they're installing the roundabout as well. They have to do a roundabout. And that should be finished either around mid-February or late February. And the roads will be back. Uh, during the daytime, there didn't seem to be any issues. Daytime, mm. it was when they were being manually used. You have the three junctions. And even, I suppose, Deer Park coming down into four junctions, coming down into that one spot. And that was probably part of the problem. That there was build up of traffic at certain times during the day and school times, I suppose, would be a perfect example of that morning and evenings. Uh, but night times, then, uh, like I said, personally, we got the phone because that was personally myself. I never had any great issue. We even went down that way last night from Spearfield to the time I steered it was wouldn't stop or two goes, I suppose, at the traffic light. I wouldn't consider it an awful delay some people do but I suppose you let people be aware as well if you're coming from care people can avoid that area they can swing down by the golden road the ring road they can come in by the old road by the school or you can go down in, in by circle the K there I suppose yeah, yeah so that's three ways you can avoid in works coming from the care side from the golden side again you can use the ring road if you need to go down that zone and you can come around the roadworks. I know it's probably the council or the developers should have probably put in some sort of diversion and keeping some of the traffic away from that area. Fran, mm. that is maybe something that could be looked at. Maybe so. I know that at funeral times there and uh, the like as well, there can be a bit of uh, congestion. But uh, but like yourself, I, I didn't discover any big weights there. But we certainly got some people <clears throat> on to us about it over... Who were concerned? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at I see it on social media. Yeah, there is people. There was people giving out. But may, look at it. Like I said, maybe people didn't realise uh, the other routes that you could take mm. to avoid them works. 
And it is, look, at the minute by the roundabout, it is very awkward at the minute. I'll grant that up to the time they stopped at the roundabout. It wasn't too bad. It was a kind of a straight run through it when you got going. But mm. now with the roundabout, it's kind of confusing, I suppose, with people. But I would still say to uh, the council and them, even at this stage, if it's going to continue on to the middle of February, just try looking at uh, diversions to keep traffic away altogether from that area or as much as possible that you will have local traffic. There's times I go out myself and it's built up back there as Tesco where I would be coming out yeah, onto that road. Yeah. I would swing left and I'd go in by the school or up by Circle K and, and you're avoiding it at that stage. Mm. But but it will be in place, you say, until what? A couple of weeks into February, is it? <clears throat> it's expected to be finished uh, mid-February, but now we don't know whether ways or if they say it now, but so they're giving it to you the end of February that everything should be completed in that area by the end of February. Right, and we will then have a roundabout there. There will be a new roundabout there. They're installing it at the minute. Right. Uh, and look, at you know from Cashville, that has been a pinch point several times Absolutely. down through the years, yeah. especially at school times. And I, look, at I've seen some people giving out about all the roundabouts in Cashville, but... As far as I can tell, any of the roundabouts that have gone in over the last number of years have improved the flow of traffic. Both into the main street are perfect examples there. Now, there's people giving out about the one uh, as you go out to Circle K from the Friar Street area that people are driving over. Yeah. These are designed that way. They're a bubble roundabout. Because the markings on the road is what you need to be watching out for in all them kind of instances. Mm-hmm. The, the, the only thing I found about that, Martin, is when when it was first introduced there on the way out to Circle K, I didn't know about it, and I didn't think there was enough signage on the way to it. Well, you know? look, at that, that has been a problem. And that, look, at that has been a problem, Fran, and I've raised it even when I'm on the council, with the one at Tesco. There is one uh, oh, yes. sign yeah, as yeah. you come in the Cork side. Yeah. I have, look, at, I've had very near actions there with buses and the whole lot at the Tesco roundabout because of, as far as I'm concerned, lack of signage. And people are on top of these roundabouts before they realise it. Now, look, I totally agree there should be more signage mm. on all these kind of junctions. And it makes people aware. But if you talk to people in the new estate, Greg Bond and Castle Green, it is an awful lot easier now they find with that roundabout there. It slows down the traffic and it makes it an awful lot easier for them to come out of the estate or to mm. uh, enter the estate. Yeah, well, it's like you say, I mean, I remember a lot of grief, and we had it here on the programme when that um, roundabout was introduced on the main street up onto Friar Street there, and people said, oh, that will never work, it will never work, and it'll be... Actually, it's worked extremely well. Extremely well, Fran. Uh, look, we, any of that was around Cashel would realise that before that was done, trying to, we say, go from Friar Street up Bank Place, yeah. now to Dublin Road, used to be an absolute nightmare, and the build-up of traffic, you see back up there is, uh, the church and beyond... Now there's a constant flow of traffic. And I would argue, and I have, and it is others that have objected, when you're coming from the Dwella Road out onto Fire Street, a similar uh, bubble yeah. roundabout or something should yeah. be there. Because I have no doubt that you have it through the show and we through the offices. The delay there, if, especially if you're trying to turn right down Yes. Coming from Duella Road, trying to turn down right into Friar And again, Street. school time there, coming from the school out on the Duella Road. It's there, crazy there. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely yeah. crazy there. And look at Like I said, to the best of my knowledge, any around where it has gone in has actually improved traffic flow in the town. Hmm. And that was one of the main things down through the years with Castle was the build-up of traffic, especially heavy goods 
traffic mm. and that, mm. that you were caught inside and down. And if you're caught inside and down, and we've had this discussion with Tip Town over numerous occasions, if you're caught for 15, 20 minutes, half hour inside and eight down, you want to get out of it. If the traffic can flow and you know that just you can pull in, you're not going to get held up, you're more than likely, you will stop in them towns, you'll spend your few pounds before you move on. Of course. And can I ask you, in fact, about the schools? Because, again, we've had some correspondence about this, the, the, uh, those pinch points <coughs> outside of the yeah. school on the Duella Road and, indeed, outside the old CBS on the Tipperary Road there as well. Double yeah. parking, you know, sometimes there's only enough room then for one lane of traffic. <laughs> is, is there anything that can be done about that? The one on the Skull Cormac on the Golden Road. Yes. There's very little, I suppose, can be done there unless either the school or the government purchased uh, land for to make it as a care park. Now, you know the area as well as I do that it's very confined there. There's not a whole place of space, any place in that area of the town that you're going to be able to purchase. You have the playing field, but the school uses the playing field there, the old brothers, mm. Holland Field. Yeah. So if you take away some of that for parking, the school is losing out. It's that's going to be a difficult one. As far as the community school, I have spoken to uh, the principal up there, and we have approached Norman Foley on their behalf. And I approached it just before Christmas again. Bucky Fields, if people know it, yeah, there is no reason, and the school wouldn't have any objection that if the department would come, because look, it's a school field, would come and turn maybe the front part of that into a care park. Let it be a drop-off area or a care park there. Would take massive traffic off the Dweller Road. And unfortunately, it will be something that will come back on the agenda when there's an accident or something there. That's that's the problem, isn't it? And that's unfortunately. Now, we've assured the school, and as soon as we go back, I'll be on to Norman Foley again to see if there's any movement on it or see if there's any funding that can be made available like I said, turn some of that bucky field because that field, the top part of the field is used all right as a mm. pitch, mm. but the slope on it, that part of the field is actually being used for nothing at the minute and hasn't been because I worked in the school when it opened and it was always just the right you cut grass on it and that was it. So there's so, no reason why uh, areas there could not be turned into some sort of a care park to alleviate the traffic. Right, so that maybe, maybe that's something you, you might pursue. Um, okay. Oh, no, we have. We, uh, I've approached Norman yeah. Foley several times on it on behalf of the school, and I can assure you that as soon as we go back again after the break here, that it is something that we will be pursuing and try and get something done before an accident happens there. Now, the, I suppose... Yeah. I was, I was there at the school when it opened, Fran, and just, there was a car park out the back and just didn't big enough for the teachers mm. parking at that stage. But down through the years, youngsters have started to work themselves, they're yeah. bike airs. It is completely different to when we work now when the school opened, the amount of cares that are there now. And I suppose that is feeding into part of the problem there, is the amount of students now. And if it's fair play them, they've gone away, they've got their job, mm. they've got mm. their cares. If they want to drive to school, fair play them. But it's just creating... Yeah. But it seems to be the problem. pinch points that when, when, when kids are being picked up there, that seems to be the, uh, yeah, the big yeah, issue. And, and if the weather is bad, then parking gets a little indiscriminate. So it's, yeah. Well, look, at, we have it in the primary school here as well. When it's yeah. uh, rough weather, everybody wants to nearly bring yeah, them out course. and they up to the front door and drop yes. them off. Yeah. And that creates a problem. And people just of seem course. to abandon 
yeah. it's common can, sense when it comes to parking. Can I ask you about uh, the Sunday Indo, uh, Paul, Sinn Féin, up 2% there, Martin, and um, after a slide, I suppose, in polls for, for some time. Now, many putting that down to a sort of a change of tack in the party's approach to immigration. Would would you would you go along with that uh, observation? No, and uh, we, look, we've been up down the poll, but we've been polling consistent from, we said, low 30s to the mid 30s. And the only poll that we count is when people go to a ballot station mm. and tick a box, whether that be for Martin Brown or for Ren Curry or Emma. The other polls that matter, uh, it's all about engagement with the public fan and being there and having these communications with them. Maybe. We lack that at one stage, but our policy hasn't changed. Mm. That the immigration issue, we're not an open border party like some people suggest. Our policies are there. I ask people to take a look at our policies, go on our web page, and they're there. We'll be up and down the polls. Where the last poll has us up against again. But look at, like I said, the only mm. poll that will count will be. When but, the election is called. It, it, it does look, I mean, after a slide, uh, you know, people might observe it as being within the, the, the margins of error. Uh, error and all of that, but but still, it it sort of appears that it did follow on a, a, a sort of a change in the, in, in the party's approach. For instance, I know you got an awful lot of slack following that meeting in Holland Afela uh, about those um, males coming into Cashelair into John Street, uh, Martin, because with you, you were towing the party line and you couldn't exactly stand up maybe and say what you felt yourself personally. But Fran, I didn't get an awful lot. You see, this is a thing that has been put out there. I, I look at the easiest thing would have been for me not to go to the hall that night. Uh, I went to the hall. I entered what I could that night. I sat around at the end. Two people came up to me. We talked. We've had conversations with other people that were in the hall that night. <clears throat> That's what, as a public representative, I am should be doing is meet the public and that. Um, I, I look at you can you can call it throwing the party line or whatever. My firm belief is that we have an obligation to uh, refugees when they're coming into the country, and whether we like it or not, it's there that they need they have to be processed. And that the fear is, and it's been thrown out there that they're unvetted, undocumented. But I remember uh, John, I think his, his name was on this show with you. He was an ex-guard and he was in the immigration. Mm. He went through that morning with your friend, the obligations we have, and that people are processed. They're fingerprinted, they're photographed, Interpol, mm. Europol, and all them. And people are put into a centre until they're even given clearance. The mm. problem has been that the lack of resources, it isn't moving quick enough, I suppose. Mm. Like but, the, but do, 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 you, uh, do you accept do you accept that scene that we have some of these people now in tents and stuff um, it, the notion that Ireland is full is being sort of lampooned a lot because you know we have plenty of space but we don't have housing and we don't have accommodation for, for, for I, people but Fran look at let's be honest instead of we giving out or directing our anger at the refugees and us let's put our anger where it deserves to be put and that's successive mm. governments have not built houses. They have depended on the private sector to uh, yeah. bring houses into the equation. They're at it now with the centres. It's all private. <clears throat> like, what would be wrong with there's industrial estates all over the country? Repurposing them as holding centres instead of 
making uh, people rich well, by putting them into hotels and that. You see, I still think that, you're going to have people fearful. You know, if you have like 70 or 100 uh, males, young males, in, in, in any area without having the services to look after them and occupy but, them and all but of friend, that. But, that comes back to government again and lack of communication. I, I'll give you an example. In every community, and you know them as well as I am, looking out my window here at the resource centre, resource centres, uh, youth facilities, addiction, mental health, mm. these are the people that uh, communication should be done with first and foremost to find out what is actually needed in certain areas if you're talking about putting in uh, IPES uh, yes. or Ukrainian families. They are not even being communicated with. So it but comes but they're, they're not because they can't cope. They can't cope with what we have. I mean, GPs are out the doors. Uh, mental health is non-existent in terms of services, Martin. So, you know, you're imposing more and more numbers on, on services that are already depleted. Look, uh, uh, Fran, of course, there's, uh, at the minute, there's delays in them services because of lack of them, right? Mm. But at the same time, we are allowing young doctors, nurses and that to leave our country. Mm. We're making no attempt to keep them in the system to help improve that system. And I come back to your resource centre and all them. They are under pressure because of lack of funding. Mm. And you've had them on your show, and I have been involved with the resource centre here in Cashel for years. Every year, you are actually begging for money, even just for services for mental health, to give counselling that. Mm. We are a very rich country. These are the people that are dealing with the most vulnerable at all times. And that's right. We need to bring it back and humanise these people. These are not some savages like some people seem to think they are. They're human beings that have left their own country for some reason or other mm. to come for a safe... Right, but, but you know, and I mean, I, d- I don't want to rehash conversations we've had on the programme, but you know an awful lot of people coming into this country are coming in here, you know, after being in other countries, they're coming in here from countries where their 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 lives are not in peril in any way. And, you know, they're coming here because we look after people extremely well, financially, certainly. If, Friend, you know, so. I'll give you an example. Look at, uh, you take Ross Larry this evening. Mm. Are you telling me that, I know you picture your own son as best of the country, right? Mm. Would you put him into a 40-foot container to ship him someplace just for... And some people are talking about they're coming over for the social welfare system and to improve things. Can you imagine what you're fleeing to put yourself in that kind of danger? That if you had to go to that extreme that you locked yourself in or go out into a robot dinghy, you're saying that's coming from other countries. The Irish Refugee Council will defunct that. And I, I'm actually surprised, Brandon, that you've never actually had him on the show... Uh, because they're the people that are dealing with this on a daily basis. <clears throat> there is, look at, we've had them on your show and other shows talking about, I listened one morning to one of your uh, contributors and he called them rapists and that. That's totally unfair. There is no, any place where refugees are gone in showing uh, dramatic increases in crime or anything like that. Mm. And it's misinformation that's getting out there and it's misinformation that we need as public representatives to sit down with local communities. And I will sit down with any community and I'll have a chat with them and we can talk through what worries they have and see what can be improved in any area right. where refugees so, so if, if, if asylum the, are coming in. If there was a, a, a premises that you think might be suitable identified in Cashel, for example, would you would you welcome single males into that area knowing the fears 
that the people of the town might have. Would you welcome them in, Martin? But, Fran, there's fears with everything. I know, we, but, we, but, but if you just take my question, would you welcome them in, and then would you try to allay the fears of the locals, if you know what I mean? What, what we need to do is communicate with the communities first and see how many. 74 is too many, right? Could a community cater for 10? Could it cater for 15? Could it cater for 20? Until we sit down with the agencies that are dealing on a daily basis with this, we don't know what's actually available there. Mm. We're going on here, say, at the minute. And like I said, the country has an obligation, one way or another, Fran, to, uh, if someone appears at an airport or a port and seek asylum, mm. we have an international obligation. Where, where do you see that them. obligation coming from, by the way? Where do I see it coming yeah, from? Where, where is that obligation? The, the Geneva Convention and all that... Uh, is there, Fran? No, I know. The Geneva, convention doesn't, the Geneva convention doesn't. Geneva convention doesn't oblige us to take in uh, an unlimited number of people into the country, Martin. But it's not unlimited at the minute. We're we're talking about we have the resources and we have the infrastructure, houses and all that. Fran, there's sixty six thousand empty houses in the country. We are not full. But the way you're trying to paint it. I, I'm not trying to paint anything. I, I'm just trying to reflect what, what's going on out there. And you talk about empty houses. I mean, why don't we use them for Irish people? There's 14,000 homeless Irish people. Oh, I totally 4,000 children. I, yeah. I, I can assure you, we're dealing with the homeless people in Ireland and in Cashel and Tipperary on a daily basis. They're coming to our offices looking for mm. yeah. And But that is a situation that the government have created again. The situation that they created in Cashel, one of the emergency accommodations that was being used for homeless people, as now we've lost it, and there's no talk about it, we need to get back to building houses, and we need government to start funding local authorities that we can start supplying accommodation for our homeless. Right, and continue to take and continue to take and continue to take people in, Martin, without without a cap on numbers. No, friends, the Ukrainians that are coming into the country at the minute, none of them are getting local authority houses, so they are not a adding to the situation that uh, we've right. been facing this but, but But now they'll yeah, be allowed yeah, in for 90 days and they have to seek out accommodation themselves. Right, let, let's see what way that works out. But I, I can tell you the way it'll work out. That That's going to be a disaster because where are they going to get accommodation? But this is where there is no planning by yeah. government, Fran. Yeah. We need... Look, at this has been an issue for the last few years. Yeah. And you cannot tell me, or no Fianna Fáil or Gale member can tell me that <clears throat> there has been progress made on this situation in the two years. It has been relying on private individuals of their own buddies or cronies, whatever you want to call them, to supply the empty hotels or empty guest house or anything like that. Mm. They have made no effort themselves to uh, continue to build and source places that our own homeless, and I hate that term, our own homeless, because, <clears throat> like I said, we are dealing as public representatives on a daily basis. We hear the worries that uh, individuals and families have mm. and where are they going to go. All right, Martin, I must leave it there, but thanks very much for coming on with us. Thank you. Good, good morning to you. That is Sinn Féin TD for Tipperary, Martin Brown there. Um, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Back in just a moment. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie double checked that because I was relying on what's left of my uh, grey cells there when I made that point to Martin. Martin brought up the Geneva uh, Convention there as um, indicating I suppose uh, are um, embracing um, asylum seekers and the like but I just double checked it there. The Geneva Convention does not stipulate that states are required to grant asylum seekers entry to their territory. Now there's a lot in it about you know moral obligation about humanitarian stuff and all of that but there is not a stipulation there uh, that states are required to grant uh, asylum seekers to that are just just for for clarity. Um, Gardaí investigating the cause of the blaze in Donegal, part of uh, that uh, premises there, uh, used to house asylum seekers. The blaze happened. It was at the rear of a licensed premises on the main street there in uh, Buncrana and the fire broke out at about 1am on a Tuesday morning. And um, there's also that all over the papers today, that, that dreadful situation Martin Brown referred to it there, of the migrants who stowed away, um, uh, making their way to, well, I think initially they thought they were making their way to the UK, but they ended up anyway in Ross Lair in a hidden compartment of a refrigerated uh, trailer and they were uh, lacking air and stuff, so much so that they had to make a 999 call as they struggled to breathe in one thing and another. Now, we've been discussing all of these kind of things over the last few days. We've also been discussing the fact that the teacher has warned that the, uh, the teacher, the teacher indeed, has uh, warned that nobody has a right to veto lives um, who lives in communities. Now, we've had a huge amount of reaction to this on our various digital platforms. Helen joins we know. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? You're at pains, I know, to point out, Helen, that what happened where the fire was concerned, very, very unfortunate, no excuses for, for any of that. Um, but tell me about your thoughts. My thoughts are this, that you know, it, according to the article, it is thought that the fire wasn't arson. So I started in a back room in the pub. I would play any my... I nearly lay every money I have on this, that if it wasn't started by accident by one of the people who is one of the guests of the house, shall we say, that we won't be told. Why would it it was started? Because if it was thought to have been started by somebody else outside of the premises. Are are you saying it would suit the narrative better if if it was thought to be um, arson of some some time? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Because I'm, you know, I'm becoming very um, sceptical even about all of these fires and wondering, uh, are they being started? Are some of them, not all, not, are some of them being started deliberately to throw um, cold water on what they refer to as far right? But who's a far right are people like me who just say, we've had enough. We've really had enough. And did you have time to listen to my my chat there with Martin Brown, for instance? I heard a good chunk of it, and uh, two things struck me, uh, Fran. One was his lack of knowledge of the Geneva Convention. That was one. The other one was, well, actually, a few points. You you asked him on a number of occasions about um, not capping or capping the number of people coming into the country. He kept deflecting that question. 
And the other thing is, he spoke most um, heartrendingly about how certain services in Ireland, certain centres for the Irish people, how they need to be supported, mm. more finance and all of that, which is absolutely right. But the government cannot possibly have that finance free because so much is going towards supporting the uncapped number of Ukrainians and the uncapped number and unvetted asylum seekers coming into this country. Now, the government is saying that, you know, whatever supports we're providing for asylum seekers and refugees, that that's not taking from the pot of money available for the services that are supplied to us. Do, do, do you not take that on board, Helen? Do you not... I do not. Do you know how I know when a politician is lying? Uh, when their lips are moving. That's very cynical, Helen. That's very cynical. It is, but I have become very cynical, and particularly of this government. They seem to be intent on destroying Ireland, on making Ireland no longer a country for the Irish. Like, probably of Baratkar to say that we had no right to veto mm. who will be living in our community. And mm. then... You know, the numbers are cited. You know, somebody buys a house next door to you. Somebody buys or rents a house next door to you. Grand. They're not moving in 50, 70, 100 people in the house next door. The problem is the sheer volume of people who are being moved into communities. That is a big issue. It is also the sheer number who are being moved into the country anyway. And our country is struggling. If the money was not, if the finance for the people coming into Ireland was not taken from the pot, then why aren't our health services improving? Why aren't our um, travel services improving? Why, why are our hospitals still overcrowded with people dying in trolleys? Uh, why is there not enough money to bring down the the fees for students going to, to college. If you're from the Ukraine and you arrive in this country and you're a college student, university student, you get every fee paid, you get your accommodation fee paid and you get over a thousand euro paid for for attending college. In Ireland, if you're Irish, you pay for those fees of around three thousand euro, you have to pay for your accommodation and you certainly don't get paid for going to college. So you, there's a mix. Leo and the gang are putting out very mixed messages. And to be quite honest, Sinn Féin is enabling them. What Martin said there about the misinformation and disinformation, he was quoting Leo and he was quoting um, Michal. And it was like, to be quite honest, do you know what came to my mind was Sinn Féin is like Fianna Fáil with tattoos. Well, he was quoting, I suppose, his own party's stance uh, on, on, on that, Helen. However, can I just bring you back to a point that he, he made, and he made it very well when he spoke about, you know, what happened in, in Ross Lair with, with those people, those unfortunate people in that refrigerator trailer. And he said to me, and it did make me sit back and think for a moment, um, like, would you put yourself in peril like that unless you were absolutely desperate and if people are that desperate do we owe them solace do we owe them protection of some kind Um, yes absolutely people who put themselves in that peril we do but not all of them are a big chunk of them coming in here are not coming in in container trucks it is 
it actually makes my stomach turn to think of those people being stuck in a container truck in a little refrigerating part of it. Yeah, yeah. And when they couldn't, when they came out, they had to get assistance to breathe. Yeah. That should not happen. And it's criminal that it continues to happen. Uh, but you're saying that's a different situation. Is, is, is I think that's a different situation. That's, that, and that was classic government. And Sinn Féin is just like the government now. They're siding with them so much. It's typical deflection. Keep people away from the actual salient point and look at something that, yes, is happening, but that is not how all of these asylum seekers are coming into this country. Um, so there's, there's a huge difference. People who come in like that, oh, my mm. God, they are clearly desperate. But Leo Varadkar put out the message that this country, come here, we'll give you everything mm. We'll no, look after you, we'll house you. Roderick O'Gorman, but, but yeah, yeah, part oh, of yes, the sir, Yeah, well, yeah. On behalf, well yeah. shall we say on behalf of the government? Yeah, yeah. You know, just like what Martin Brown said about the disinformation, that was on behalf of his party, who are quoting the narrative from the government anyway. As I said, mm. Sinn Féin is Fianna Fáil with tattoos. Right. And, and does it worry you, Helen, and you know you spoke very well there when you spoke about those unfortunate people in Ross Lair, and I can hear your humanity there, but does it worry you that what you previously said to me, some people might brand you as being racist, anti-emigrant, right-wing, you know? Does does any of that bother you? Oh, and throw in conspiracy theorists. Right? Conspiracy theorists as well. Throw that in, because I, I was thinking yeah. there's something missing. I'm feeling lonely here. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my tin, I'm, my yeah. tin, I'm just fastening on my tinfoil hat here, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't worry me because there is a distinct difference. And anyone who would think that of me would be saying, would, would actually be, be going completely and believing everything the government is saying and not waking up and seeing what is going on, and be unable to hear me saying there is a distinct difference between the people who come in, smuggled in and container truck to those who come flying into this country without their papers. There's such a difference. It's like talking about, well, actually, if you don't like apples, you couldn't possibly eat a banana. They're so very different. Yes, um, because, of course, the argument that's always made is that we need to embrace the people who are coming in here and working in our hospitals and working in our hospitality and all of that. And again, that's a deflection because that's that, again, is a separate issue, isn't it? To- totally that's separate. separate. And, and we're delighted to have those people because they're, they're, they're fantastic for us, you know? Well, do you know something? Those people are fantastic. They come in here with skills. Yes, yeah. Now, I, I genuinely believe that we're reaching the point whereby when people come to this country, that they need to have some skills to come into this country because um, yeah, because it's not that Ireland is full, but people are getting, Irish people are getting fed up and feeling less, as if, less Irish. Yeah. All right, Helen. Well, good to talk to you today, Helen. And uh, thanks. And take off that tinfoil hat now, Helen, in case it, it's sort of... I think it's after freezing to my head, friend, so I'm stuck with it. <laughs> good. good morning, Helen. Thanks very much, Anita. Okay, Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, let me take a break. We'll be right back. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, as the cold snap continues, uh, we've gotten some messages from listeners about conditions uh, of the roads out there. And uh, Brian joins me now. Brian, good morning to you. 
Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today, Brian. You have some concerns of your own where this cold snap is uh, concerned. Yeah, I, I see it a lot. Um, I'd be driving my kids into school in care and you'd see people with a small patch of ice carved out of their windshield. Yes, so they're yes. basically driving through a letterbox. Yeah. The rest of their windows are still frozen solid. And I was just ringing to go, what's the legal requirement to basically clean the windows of your car? Because obviously, if you can't see out the window, they're, you're basically driving blind. But, you know, it's obviously a risk to other road users. It's a risk to anyone else who's on the road, pedestrians and things like that. Because if you can't see out your side view mirrors and your rear view mirror and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I'll be talking to the guardy later on. I'll put it to them. But I would imagine anything that you allow to impede your vision when you're driving would be an issue, I suppose, Brian, you know? Uh, this This is what I was wondering, because obviously if you're driving along and someone can't see the edge of the road and, you know, a lot of the small mm. country roads and things like that and these conditions can be frozen because the trees are overhanging and everything like that. So if that person can't see properly, even just to judge the distance between the edge of the road and the other cars and things like that, it would be very dangerous. Now, yeah. to me, like I spend the time scraping my windows every morning before I drive, why doesn't everyone is the question, Pat. <laughs> You see, we're all rushing and tearing around the place, I suppose. But you also mentioned schools there. I mean, it's difficult enough to be driving around schools because you're never sure will kids run out or whatever. But as you say, to have, you know, limited vision out your windscreen, it would make that even more difficult and dangerous. Yeah, now, I don't know if the person I saw this morning had had kids in the car. But, like, if you have your kids in the car and you're trying to drive safe and everything like that, or like you said a kid could be walking to get the school bus or something like that and you can't see them because you have no peripheral vision in the car you could either bump into a child or you know cause somebody to drive out into the middle of the road you know someone could take steps to avoid you and end up causing a problem themselves so I was just wondering if you could ask the guard what's the legal situation there. Well, I, I suppose it? a little bit of preparation is the thing. You, you use a scraper yourself, do you? I use the old hot water thing, you know. So. Ah, but you see, the hot water can cause your windshield to crack if you have a chip in it. Pe- people said that to me, but I, I thought that that was only if you use boiling water, Brian, is it? No, if you use a small amount of water, let's say you've made a cup of tea, and then mm. you fill the kettle with cold water on top of your warm water, Okay, that's warm enough to melt the ice and it flows off but doesn't refreeze instantly. Yes. Um, but if you use straight cold water, it'll just freeze on your windshield, and then you have a sheet of ice on your windshield. So I like to do the old slightly warm water and then wipe it off with the wipers um, so you don't tear your wipers either. But again, I, I, as I said, I sent in the message to ask the guards, because yeah. I know you talk to them quite often, what is the legal situation? Because we have a debate in our house <laughs> Is it, a, is it a legal thing or not? Well, we, we'll certainly put it to them. You see, a lot of these things, they only become legal situ- situations, sadly, when something happens. And then, you know, there's an investigation. and say, Well, you couldn't see out your window properly, so, you know. But I'm not sure if there's laws around around that, you know. That, that, yeah. But, well, that, let's that, let's find out, yeah. That's maybe funny. driving with care or something. Do, with, without due care and attention, yeah. That's yeah. The, yeah. yeah, could be that. Yeah. We, we, we say, how how are the roads for you, by the way, today, Brian? Are they are they okay? Fine. Like I mean, not yeah. ba- not bad. Um, um, it wasn't as cold as anything, but like you know, you'd watch the corners and things like that because yeah. there's a bit of slushy 
icy stuff on the road. So you want to be minding yourself. But yeah, no, it, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Well, it, it it always amuses me because we're just never ready for for very cold weather. We can't we can't deal with no, it. No, we have a we have a, a sister in Canada, and yes. her Canadian husband does enjoy how we uh, fall apart every time we get <laughs> three mils of snow. Yes. And he's there talking about three foot, and he's I laughing know, at yeah. us. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll be talking about gritting and salting the roads a little later on as well. I know. Um, good to talk to you today, Brian. Anyway, and thank mind, you you, much, mind Brian. yourself out there, and thank you very okay. much. Okay, thank we'll you. Do. Good luck. You know, that's uh, Brian speaking to us uh, today. How do you feel about that, uh, by the way? Oh, uh, three three double one double three double one. Uh, as a survivor of state and religious abuse, uh, the homeless situation, especially for the 4,000-plus children in emergency accommodation, uh, this is the new state abuse coming down the track. Um, somebody else onto us to say, um, somebody needs to tell Leo Varadkar to grow a backbone. It's genocide. What else would decent people call all of the deaths and accidents? I don't know what, what exactly you're referring to, to there, but thank you. Um, uh, Helen is absolutely right in what she said, but I'm wondering uh, if there's a new way of bringing more migrants in and hoping we'll be more tolerant of them uh, if they go through an ordeal. Um, okay, and how could you even have a phone signal to make a call, says uh, Teresa. Well, I know from taking old ferries over the years is that when you get within a certain amount of land, you can make... Uh, a, a phone call and um, yeah yeah. there's probably other ways of doing so as well um, sticks and stones and all of that regarding being called racist how unfair is it to put desperate people on the streets in tents isn't it bad enough having our own on the streets uh, and having 4,000 kids in emergency accommodation uh, what hope have they for a future and the cycle continues on somebody else saying to me um, my daughter is living in Cashel for four years, can't get a house. She has an autistic child. Uh, the owners are talking about uh, selling, so obviously she's renting. Uh, she's scared about becoming homeless. Uh, somebody else saying the cold reality is that there are a sign that the refugees are not wanted by the Irish people. There's more to come. All refugees are not in peril. Uh, the Irish homeless... Uh, are in peril. Another death of a homeless person on the streets of the capital last night, says Patrick to us uh, this morning. Um, another listener says, and we're, we're inundated, by the way, I'm only, this is only the tip of the iceberg of what we've gotten following my conversation uh, with Martin Brown. Somebody else saying, uh, I believe that there should be a reception centre in the cities for asylum uh, seekers, refugees, etc. And they should be processed immediately and deported from this country. Um, if uh, the if that is the case, anybody coming in here with no documentation should be put back on the airline they came in on immediately and absolutely no appeals for anybody. Uh, they should not be allowed to remain. OK, and again, a lot of people very specifically referring to the interview with uh, Martin Brown as well. And thank you for that. Um, 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. And uh, of course, you can uh, text and WhatsApp on 083 311 The email is tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, one of the biggest talking points on the show last week was the OECD report that claimed that there was no excess debts in Ireland during peak COVID. And now Ali spoke to Professor Anthony Staines, who tried to explain it to us. And he was telling us that it's all to do with comparisons to population growth and the fact that we have an older population and all of that. Now, we got a huge reaction, indeed, on the programme, with many people rather uh, suspicious about the report as well. Um, uh, Dr Billy Ralph is a Wexford-based GP, and he was in touch with us because he was listening to some of the interviews last week, and he joins me now. Billy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Th- you? Thanks very much indeed for making contact with us and coming on with me this morning as well. You spoke to us in your correspondence about the da- darker aspects of what went on during COVID. Would you explain some of that to me, Billy? Okay. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad you're actually taking the time to uh, address this issue because very few people want to hear about it or very few media outlets want to even discuss it. So some of the darker aspects. Okay, so from the outset, um, GPs closed their doors to patients. Mm. We're the medical profession, and we closed our doors. And then we received a document from the Irish College of General Practitioners telling us that um, we, did, we don't need to see our patients. We don't need to examine our patients because basically there were no treatments for this condition. And we could just advise them that depending on the level of breathlessness, they could then call an ambulance and turn up at the hospital. Now, that to me is not why I became a doctor, so that I could deal with everything on the phone and I could keep my hands nice and clean. And I could turn around to very elderly patients that I've known for a number of years who were frightened by the amount of nonsense that was coming out of RTE um, about the risks to the population, and it was death, death, death. Um, but then when they rang me looking for some solace or to be seen by the doctor, I'd be telling them, sorry, now I can't see you. I mean, that alone was one of the darkest moments that I've had as a doctor in 30 years. And what was it, Billy, that informed the Irish College of uh, General Practitioners that that informed them to to give those instructions to GPs like yourself. What where where did that come from? Um, to be honest with you, I don't know, um, and, I, and I'm not going to run off down some conspiracy routes. But there was some very dubious modelling done by a man called Neil Ferguson from Imperial College, who has a very uh, dubious track record of modelling of diseases from the swine flu to foot and mouth, etc. In the UK. And he was very heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he came up with these horrendous figures for the numbers of deaths likely to occur um, should a series of measures not take place. So uh, the British government ran with his modelling, and I think the American government ran with some of his modelling as well. So the frightening element of the numbers of possible deaths, hence the deadliness of this condition, came out of his faulty modelling. Now, his modelling, despite the fact that his models were challenged by Nobel laureates like Michael Levitt, and there was research from the likes of Professor Johnny Ioannidis at Stanford 
showing that the the infection fatality rate was probably a little higher than the flu, and the, and we knew who the age risk were. The this, the message was still, oh, everybody's at risk, um, and uh, therefore it was safer not to be seeing people than to lock everybody down. Now, where the Irish College of General Practitioners got their view uh, back in April of 2020 that GPs would keep their doors closed and not see patients, uh, I, have, I have absolutely no idea because that runs against all practices of medicine that I've, I've ever... And I'm just, I'm wrecking what's left of my brain cells here because it, it seems to me even when I think back on that time now, even though it's only a short time ago, I still sort of have this surreal... Um, a sort of image of it all in my head. But the WHO at the time, they weren't all that anxious about the notion of lockdown, were they? The reason they weren't is because in the 2019 pandemic guidelines, there's nothing about lockdown. This was changed. This was changed in 2020. And it was changed. And initially, the people who introduced lockdown were the Chinese Communist Party. They introduced lockdown to their society. Now, how that filtered through to so-called Western liberal democracies, I don't know. I know there was a big scare about what appeared to be going on in Italy. Mm. Um, and I don't know what influence the Chinese model had on the Italians and then subsequently panic spreading through uh, Europe. But there were, there, were, there were many, many notable academics, not in this country, but people from the likes of Harvard, Stanford, Oxford, you know, academic institutions which far surpass anything we have in this country who were completely ignored and instead we listened to people who were pretty mediocre in their profession, actually, um, and, and completely ignored um, people like uh, Martin Kulloff of Harvard and Professor mm. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford. Uh, and who had it, a reasonable voice. Is it an excuse, Billy, that we were in unprecedented times and that... You know, it it was goodness that was at the back of the decisions in terms of protecting our people. Because do you remember the the famous phrase we were trying to listen to the science? Yeah, yeah. No, I I don't, I don't buy that. Do you um, because as I say, from as early as April, when Johnny and I just published uh, the data from the Diamond Princess cruise ship, mm. um, which was like a little petri dish experiment of yes. people trapped on a cruise ship of mainly, you know, the type of age group who go on cruise ships, as well as a young uh, cohort of um, the staff, it was quite clear what the infection fatality rate was going to be then, likely be then, and who, who obviously who was most at risk. Um, and, and, and as it turns out, he, he, his predictions from then, as, as with Michael Levitt from some of the Chinese data that he was managing to get early on, um, it turned out that's exactly how it was. And that was that was March, April of 2020. And we continued on this vein of panic, despite a huge amount of evidence. We even, like, for instance, we invited Professor Carl Hennigan from the Oxford... Um, the Oxford... Uh, the Oxford Institute for Evidence-Based Medicine. Um, and he's a professor of evidence-based medicine. We invited him to the Dáil to speak on, in August of 2020. And he was asked about masks, and he basically spoke to the science. He spoke to the science, to the evidence, and, that, and, and the panel didn't and, like and what that. what was that as far as he was concerned? What was that evidence? There was no evidence that widespread use of masks would make any difference to the transmission of this to a community and to a society. No evidence to date whatsoever. Now, 
you have people like Anthony Staines sitting on that panel as well who had the temerity to say to, and this is on the Dáil record, to say to Professor Hennigan, um, perhaps Professor Hennigan is not used to dealing with data. He's a professor of evidence-based medicine. And, and somebody like that to speak to that man in that way, this is the height of disrespect. Um, and it was demeaning. So that's the kind of approach that these people in this country took. Your to, own, to the, your to own the colleagues and many of them on this programme as well, Billy, I mean, would have insisted that we listen to the science at, at the time and even to question it in any way seemed to be treacherous almost. Um, did, did, you, did, you, did you get that kind of reaction from colleagues, for example? Yeah, yeah, of course. You can't question. You aren't, and there's no such thing as their science, by the way. It's science. Mm. And science is uh, full of conjecture, open to uh, challenge, um, and it's a fluid... Yes concept. There's no such thing as Of course, but you, I, I know that you realise that's not coming from me. I'm just repeating no, no, what, we were told, what we were told to do, which was listen to the science as if there was only one narrative. I'll I, I give you an example, right? I'll give you an example. Um, I watched a bit of Prime Time, I think, once, and uh, Luke O'Neill was on with a very naive young journalist. And uh, at this stage, it was probably late 2020 when the Great Barrington Declaration had been put forward by these people from Harvard, Stanford and Oxford. And it was a it was a more measured approach to protecting the most vulnerable, who we knew were the elderly in society, not shutting down society for, because of all the actual ramifications of shutting down like an incredibly complex mechanism um, and isolating people away from all their support services. They had a different approach. And... The only time I heard the Great Barrington Declaration mentioned on RTE was this young, naive journalist saying to Luke O'Neill, what about the Great Barrington Declaration? And Luke O'Neill was allowed to get away by saying, ah, sure, none of them are immunologists. He's not an immunologist, but he's not even a clinician. This was written by numerous clinicians, signed by 50,000 medical specialists. And to date, there's probably, there was over a, a million signatories to the Great Barrington Declaration. So the consensus was basically rammed down people's throats um, and it was it was not helpful. It did a huge amount of damage to people and we're seeing the ramifications of that damage rippling forward in our economy and in the levels of mental illness um, in our society and probably related to this concept of excess deaths. I'll give you an example. In the UK, right, in the UK the um, the Council for Social Justice, they recently did a report looking at how much the British government spent over COVID, you know, for social welfare payments, masks, vaccines, etc. And it worked out about $400 billion. Now that's $400 billion to some extent wasted because of the opportunity lost to spend that $400 billion in in a social context. And, and the result of that has been that they've estimated that Prior to COVID, one in nine children in the UK needed psychological support. And they've estimated that now it's one in four children need psychological and mental health support. Now, I, I don't see that the UK figures are going to be any different in this country. We're structurally very, very much the same. Um, uh, so that, that, to me, indicates that there's been an absolute mess made of our country. And how, how do you answer what uh, Anthony Stain said on this programme last week by way of 
commentary around that OECD report that uh, no excess deaths. His explanation, and I'm struggling with this now, but seemingly that the trajectory for for um, deaths in Ireland had been going down for, for quite some time. And his point was, and I, I don't think I'm doing him a disservice here, why it looks like there was no excess deaths was because the figure had been going down anyway, um, so it sort of brought it up to a kind of a, a normal level. It, it, does that make any sense to you? No, it doesn't. And I think every man and dog in the street knows more people who have died and become ill over the last couple of years than usual, OK? Now, remember who Anthony Staines is. Anthony Staines is one of these zero COVID zealots. Right, well, I don't, I don't want to particularly attack Anthony Staines. No, he, but, he, but he's on record of, of you know, yes. you know, advocating the zero, so zero coronavirus in a society. That That is like, a, that's a nonsense. There are coronaviruses, there are eight, at least eight coronaviruses that affect humans anyway, and another coronavirus which becomes endemic in a society. You cannot, there's no such thing. Right. So how that man could even begin to believe you could like you could achieve that, and and the, but but the issue was how were they going to achieve it, and they were going to achieve it by draconian measures which are anti-democratic, by right. locking people in their homes, arresting people who walk on beaches, you know, preventing people from seeing loved ones in nursing homes and hospitals, um, and arresting and jailing an old lady for not wearing a mask in, in a in a shop. That's the kind of society that the zero COVID people wanted to create. That's the science, death science, Bram. And, you know, just, just to add to what he was saying, and again, where these figures are concerned, that, you know, they hadn't taken into account population size changes, demographics, you know, an older population and all of that. Um, that still doesn't make any any no, sense Bram, to you, does Bram, it? If you, if, you, if you look at the European Union's website called Eurostat, I understand what he's saying about... I, I went on to the OECD and I couldn't find any figures for Ireland. There's 38 countries listed all of which have excess deaths. And it, it, it breaks them down each month and over the last few years. I, I couldn't find Ireland. I went on to Eurostat, which is the European Union's figures. And if you look at 2020, five of the 12 months had excess deaths, April being the worst with about a 38% increase in deaths. Then if, if you look at 2021, 10 of the 12 months had excess deaths. If you go to 2022, 11 of the 12 months had excess deaths. And if you go to 2023... The data is up to October, and every one of those months shows excess deaths. That's your stuff. So people can go on and look at the look at the chart. They're there, you know. So I, I don't know what Anthony Staines is talking about. And to me, the, the timely the timely uh, produ- production of uh, a a report saying, "Oh, we did so well," and then we're looking now to have a and have an inquiry, and there's been no critical voices tackling this issue. There are excess deaths. Everybody knows there are excess deaths. There are excess illnesses, excess autoimmune problems, excess cancers. We know they're there. Um, but, but if we acknowledge that they're there, we then have to say, why are they there? Right. Billy, will you indulge me for a moment? Because I just want to play you a clip from the minute. When, when, these, um, when the OECD figures emerge, uh, this is what Stephen Donnelly had to say. Can I just play this? Just a, a few seconds of this. The OECD published a report just before Christmas and it showed that Ireland had the fourth lowest excess mortality rate 
uh, in the three years, COVID and so 2020, 21 and 22, the fourth lowest rate in the OECD, that's not thanks to government. That's thanks to a national response where government, the Oireachtas, our incredible healthcare workers and people in their communities stood together in the face of this mm, pandemic. Because and I'm it, sure you know that for some people, the question then arises, were the restrictions too tight? That's exactly what this review can look at. But ultimately, what we wanted to do was save as many lives as possible. So that's the Minister, Billy, uh, giving us a clap on the back. That's complete and utter rubbish. There is no evidence worldwide that lockdown made any difference. And uh, and he he will not be able to produce any evidence. Again, people uh, like professors of medicine at Stanford and Harvard, uh, the heart uh, organisation with Dr. Claire Craig and people like that in the UK, Carl Hennigan in the Oxford uh, for uh, evidence-based medicine. Th- th- all those people have basically said masks did nothing, lockdowns did nothing. They did harm the lockdowns more than anything else. And this business of clapping everybody on the back, you, well, you're clapping everybody on the back for giving up some of your democratic rights to just basically free associate, protest, etc., so that's an absolute nonsense. This is a sock because there's going to be an election next year and these people know that they have an angry electorate and they have an angry electorate across a number of major issues. Um, and they're just trying to put a, some sort... It's like that bloody Jerusalem, I think, they did during COVID. I've never seen anything more nauseating. Um, I, I don't know what the hell that was, the hell it was about. This was the dancing and the clapping and stuff, was it? Yes. Yeah. And Donnelly's comments there now, that's yeah. another up to people via the media to make them feel like they did so well because they did what they were told. Do, do you have any issue with the fact that the same minister is now reaffirming our commitment to the notion of a, an international pandemic agreement as well, probably based on the kind of information that you're discussing with me? I do have concerns. I am not an expert on the pandemic agreement or the international health regulation. There are two things which are going to change. I'm not very aware, very uh, knowledgeable on either of those, but I do know from what I have read that there appears that there will be a degree of uh, sovereignty removed from countries across a number of areas, like the dealing with the health of animals, dealing with the health of the land, dealing with the health of people, uh, climate-related issues. These will all be um, these will all be come under the remit of the WHO, who have will have fairly strong legal powers in relation to individual governments. Now, the WHO by itself, I don't have major issues with, but I do have issues with organisations that are funded by external sources that benefit from certain approaches. Like, for instance, uh, the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration in the US, and the EMA, or the European Medicines Agency in Europe, they're 75% plus funded by the pharmaceutical industry, yet they are the regulators of the pharmaceutical industry. The WHO, for instance, the biggest funder of the WHO is Germany. The third biggest funder is the US. But the second biggest funder of the WHO is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill and Melinda Gates, or or Bill Gates anyway, is also involved in Gavi, which is the vaccine organization. And Bill Gates is on record as saying one of the best investments he's ever made is investing in mRNA technology because he reaped billions out of the um, 
nearly billions so out of you, you have no problem understanding why there's so many conspiracy theories out there and and indeed while ordinary people like myself I mean I, I was struggling through some of this this morning to try and get some answers or so. it, the complexity the web of information um, it's almost impossible to get answers or to get a, a viewpoint even it is Ram I agree it's, it is um, I, I, I just look at where the money is who's making money and I look I see what, what I look at is I followed a number of people over the last few years. I prof- like the two professors that I mentioned from Oxford and Stanford. The other professor from uh, Stanford, Professor Ioannidis. Then I looked at Professor Marek, Professor McCulloch, and Professor Daglish. All of these people have given very reasonable approaches to both the societal and the medical and the science aspects of this. Okay. Now, the, the, what they have in common is that they almost all lost their jobs. Yet, yet these people went from being some of the most published people in their field. For instance, uh, Peter McCulloch was one of the most published cardiologists in America, and he goes from being a, a man in his late 60s with a, with a stellar career to being a quack overnight. Same with Paul Marek, one of the most published intensive care physicians in the United States, and he goes from that position to being vilified overnight. That, that, that doesn't happen in a reasonable society. So when I see the, these people's view, and then I look at the people like um, our so-called experts, um, and I look where they are now. You know, they're quids in having sold various companies. They've got elevated positions within uh, big Irish companies, and others will probably move on to either the WHO or European positions. So, you know... If you, and if you look at uh, the kind of information they were giving out versus the reasonable information that these other people gave, were giving out, and then you look at who benefited from the approaches that they took. Now, all those people from the likes of Harvard and Stanford, why they were vilified as opposed to just ha- let's have a discussion, like we're having now, let's have a discussion. You've got there, there are viewpoints, and I appreciate Anthony Staines, and he, he's an epidemiologist as well, so he knows much yeah. more about numbers than I do. So I'm, I'm going to concede that perhaps there is some validity in his explanation because I don't understand enough of it. But I understood a hell of a lot of what those people that I just mentioned, I understood what they were saying. I also saw what I was seeing on the ground as a doctor. And then I was also seeing what I was being asked to do as a doctor. And morally, I found it reprehensible. Yes, I didn't find the, the comments of the people, um, those other experts, those international, I didn't find their views reprehensible. Uh, but I did find the idea of destroying our society and breaking, breaking. I mean, I, I'll give you, I'll give you a human story because I'm rattling on here about some science. I'll give you a human story, okay? Mm. There's an elderly man who used to come and see me. He still comes to see me. His name is Jim. Married for about 60 years, and his wife sadly developed dementia, and she got to the point where she had to go into a nursing home. Now Jim would visit her every day, and he would come and see me occasionally, and he would tell me how depressing it was uh, to watch her fade away because she couldn't remember who had been in that day, what she'd have for dinner, etc. And then on one day he came in to see me to say he kind of found the secret of how to talk to his wife. Uh, and he used to, what they used to do is they would talk about the past because she could remember the past. She could remember when they were young and self-forced dating. And he said for a moment he would have his wife back. So then COVID came. 
and they closed the nursing home, so you couldn't go in and see people. So Jim would still go up every day, and he would stand looking at his wife. She'd be in the window looking out at him. She had no faint idea who the hell he was, and he'd be looking in at her. And he always said to me, he said, some days when it's sunny, on a sunny day, he said, I can't even see her because the sun, all I can see is my own reflection in the, in the, in the window. And then he, got to, he eventually got to see her weeks later. But he got to see her when she was dying and she was unconscious. That's what COVID did. Okay. That's what these people did. And I can hear in your voice, this is upsetting you, even still to talk about this. I'm very upset by it. Billy, thanks for your time this morning and uh, good to talk to you and uh, and thanks thanks for tuning into the show as well. Thanks very much. Thanks, Billy. Good morning to you. And that's uh, Dr. Billy Ralph there uh, speaking to us this morning. 1800 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, What a response to uh, Dr. Billy Ralph there. Uh, just one or two of them. Louise says, my mother died in July of 2020, Fran, of a stroke. She was 85 years old. She didn't leave her apartment from March 2020. She wore a mask, gloves and sunglasses in her apartment. And she watched uh, RTE doling out massive fear. She was just terrified, says Louise to us uh, today. Now, as I say, huge amount of uh, interest in that. Uh, I will get back to it. Um, as the cold snap continues, uh, former County Councillor David Dorn took to Facebook about gritting and salting of our roads and he joins me now. David, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you, David. You described the situation of looking after our roads uh, with uh, ice on them as a scandal in this day and age, David. Yeah, I, I believe so, Fran. And look, I am well aware that there's an awful lot of roads in the county. Indeed, I think it's 5,500 kilometres of road within the county temporary and people are reasonable and, and they don't expect every road and by road uh, in the county to be attended to. But uh, I, I do think, Fran, it's unreasonable uh, that the county council wouldn't at least uh, so, solve some of the, 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 a lot more of the main roads, you know, that kind of way, and, and, and uh, roads that certainly uh, serve schools and stuff like that. And it can be done in other local authorities. And, and I believe that there's not enough political will to do that, Fran, you know. And, and uh, tell me, are you speaking specifically about the Thurles Rahilty area there, David, or are you? Yeah, uh, that area, um, uh, but other areas also, Fran. I mean, in the Thurles Rahilty area that you mentioned, uh, when you go out there past the rugby club, uh, they just there's no more uh, salt and it stops. And, you know, when you're going out there to the to, to the school in Rahilty or out to Moyne or Temple 2, you're locked more that area. You know, you, you can you're left abandoned, and uh, it's a well-used road. Also, you have the the casual uh, to Orlingford Road, or the old, the old main road is not done. Uh, roads around Gortonhu, up towards Barangarry. There's a lot of areas that aren't done that that should be done, Fran. Mm. Uh, and you know, you know, I have often said, what do we need to, to happen? A, a busload of school children, or or, or, or some head-on collision. Uh, 
for the powers that be to to to, to address that. You know, and, but and I David, also you, you have experience of the local authority. How are these decisions made about what roads <sighs> will be looked after and what won't? Or? Well, well, they have they have. Uh, firstly, I'd like to say, Fran, I just want to put on record. Firstly, get get no chance to do so. The, the fantastic work that the, the outdoor staff do do. Uh, sure. The county councillors who are, who are out there in all weathers, mm. uh, responding to all hours of the night and all of that. Yeah, all hours of the night. Fa- yeah. Fantastic people. Yeah. I, I know a lot of them here locally, and they're drawing some heroes of the local authorities, and they don't get enough. You know, they're fantastic public servants, and I want to put that on, on record. But yeah, my experience of a friend does a winter plan. Uh, it's all about money. Money being allocated. Uh, and then, you know, and previously when I was a member of the local authority, I would have asked more roads to be put on, uh, you know, and would have identified such roads. And, and I don't think, Fran, there's enough political will there to, to ensure when you have, say, in the lifetime of the last council, the councillors increased the property tax uh, twice, uh you have road tax and people are asking the questions, where's all this money going? You know, it wouldn't take an awful lot to, to add those roads that I've identified. Uh, you know, and, and those same same councillors will be reaching for the letterboxes and the door handles looking for roads. And I think that should be uh, a very uh, top of the list issue that, that, that needs to be addressed. And but, is it about it, preparation, David? I mean, are we ever, we were speaking to one of our listeners there and uh, he was making the point that, you know, a relation in Canada, they laugh at us in terms of how we uh, deal with uh, these situations. They can deal with like three feet of snow and all of that. We can't deal with a bit of frost. Is it about preparation? It is fine. Like, to be fair, when you think about it, there's, there's only a few nights of the year, a few yeah. days of the year, really, uh, out of the 365 that, that you need to provide for. And for those nights and for those days, you know, I don't think people should be laughing at it that, that we do fantastic work, because, but, but the, to the organisation and the management of it and the will that say, look, we'll have maybe 10 nights in the year, I don't know how many years, or, or nights, uh, and we'll provide for them and make sure that at least the, the, the main roads, uh, the roads that are servicing schools, that people travel on a lot, uh, that these roads are, are, are all added to. Uh, and that's that, just getting a bit of feedback there. Sorry, Fran. Oh, yeah, no problem. But, but, but that, that, they're, that they're all added to, and 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 that these roads are treated. I think it's you know it's a very it's a reasonable ask as far as I'm concerned. You know. Yeah, and who has the? How does that work from a decision making point of view? Okay, say a frost comes upon us fairly quickly. Who who makes a decision there, David? How does that work? Well, I suppose that's done by by the, the roads engineers and the, the 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 you know the senior roads engineers there that they <clears throat> they have this group that they have and this what they're keeping an eye on there with the, with Miss Aaron and stuff like that and they still know that the maps are done they're pre done it's just yeah. to let out the salt and orries to do it you know and they do it I think two or three times during the like you know it lasts so many hours but what I'm saying Fran is that decisions should be made that there's more roads added to it by, by those people and that they're, that they're sent out when they go out that these roads are done. You know, that right. kind of way. And but, is that know. up to public representatives to fight the good fight where these areas are concerned then? Is that... Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, Fran. I, I, it is. And, and, you know, it's just... It's not good enough in, in this day and age. There isn't enough. Noise being made about it. No point in telling people mm. as to be careful and mind ourselves out there when, when the people at the table should ensure mm. that... You know, that that, that, that the roads that are paying the road tax that our cars are travelling along. You know, there's an awful lot of talk about getting your car ready and providing and having it safe and proper for NCTs, which is only right. But people are doing everything else right and the council, I think, are letting them down. And, you know, uh, I think it should be, uh, it's a very important issue, Fran. And, you know, when I'm just talking about roads, if you don't mind, Fran, mm. 
um, there's a public meeting uh, tomorrow night in in in, um, in Hales Hotel at, at eight o'clock, organised by everyone Dan Harty here in Torles. I want to commend them for for organising it. But it's about the ring road for Torles. Yes. I think this is something that should be discussed as well. But Torles has been neglected, Fran, when it comes to the roads. I mean, you know, the link road has been talked about for years. Uh, it hasn't been delivered on for 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 two or three generations are talking about providing for the ring road uh, and there seems to be an awful lack again of political will in addressing the problems that they are. Parallel Street is an absolute joke. It's a reserve function of the councillors. Uh, they're, they're flying in the face of, of the public because there was a petition organised with thousands of people signing to remove it. Uh, they can't hide behind engineers or anyone in any back rooms deciding whether you take it off. If the councillors decided tomorrow morning uh, that it could be taken off. It, it, it could be, but there's some serious uh, political uh, um, reluctance there, and I, I could never understand it when I was there, Fran, why, why that is, but I think that's a question. Why, why do you think it is? Why, why do you think it is? <laughs> Fran, I, I don't know, and, and, and I want to be fair to everyone, but, but what I do know, Fran, to be fair to any, uh, and excuse the pun, uh, council worked or saw it, but to be fair to any of them, uh, the artists must believe in in trying to sort it out. But there's there's an awful intransigence on Parnell Street. Fran. I, I, I don't know, Fran, if it's some outside influence hmm. uh, from whoever. And, and, and is this where the fair. parking issue there is concerned? Oh, I mean. oh yeah, absolutely. But wasn't that the businesses who had issues with taking the parking off? And some businesses had, but, but, but at the end of the day, the, 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 you could put out this poll there this morning. The people that use that every day, the people, the good people at Torlis and the surrounding areas that will be voting now in the elections coming up soon, mm. they believe, uh, and because I petitioned them, along with Councillor Jim Ryan and former Councillor Lola Dwyer, and they came back in their thousands to say it should be at least tried. They spent thousands and thousands of taxpayers' money on Liberty Square, mm. right? Mm. Uh, and still all the problems aren't solved. But they left that there. Something that would cost nothing, friends. And it's a question that needs to be asked. At least I'd be the first one to say, and I'd be on your show, and I've often been wrong before, to say, geez, I was wrong about that. I guarantee you it would have helped the traffic flow in Torles. So when you're having meetings, public meetings about the ring road, which I think is very welcome and needs to happen, this is something that needs to be put mm-hmm. out there. Straight. And, and, and also, Fran, the likes of, I heard Martin Brown on this morning, he's right, I w- would agree with him on, on the, the roundabouts helping to alleviate traffic. Mm. Uh, but there seems to be a reluctance to do that in Torres as well. And Bowes Corner is one I could mention about that. But Parnell Street, Fran, is, is a stingy little that the councillors that are sitting in those seats and are looking for votes are afraid to grasp. And, and the questions want to be asked why they're afraid to grasp because they can't hide behind anyone. It's something that could be done in the morning. I'll take All right. it's one to pay well, down the road. Uh, we, we'll, but, but, we'll put it to people, David, when when they're on. Yeah, we sure and it would be great. It, it would be great, fan, if 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 the, some more of these roads could be added to the to the oh. salt. I think it's not good enough people trying to go to work and take their kids to school. And have some roads is like a lottery system that that right. they're fine. I must, I must leave it there, David. But thank you very much indeed for coming on with us today, former County Councillor David Doran. There. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slatteries of Pecan. Tipperary's... Ma- now, Jack Frost might be outside, but it is, I'm told, perfect walking weather. And joining me now to discuss some of the great walks available to us for 2024 is our own John G. O'Dwyer. Good morning to you, John. Good morning indeed, Fran. Great it, it, it is fresh it, morning. It is nippy out there, but, but a walker like you, you'd love that kind of walk. Oh, walking. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the mountains are transformed into a wonderland. If you go up, you went up... 
early this morning now, I always think, I always describe the trees, the metaphor, like uh, bottle brushes. You know the way oh, they yes, stand yeah. stiff like bottle brushes. Yeah. So it can be fantastic. And the ice crunching under your feet as well. And I always think the air, this sharp air going down into your lungs as well as that. If you can get up early, I just love it, getting up early, getting out. And just even if you're only going for a short walk or something like that. And, you know, and maybe at this time you see the sun rising and that kind of thing. It's fantastic. Gorgeous, you always yeah. feel better. So talk to us about what's available. Will we start with Arlo because their winter walks have become famous there, haven't they? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I have. I mean, I've always had a good relationship with them. And uh, I mean, I think she's um, re- retired now. Helen, Helen Morrissey yeah. has gone from there. Yeah. But one, I, if I give a plug for myself, one of my ex-tourism students is up there, Jane Ryan, and oh, she's running good. it this year. Yeah. So, uh, that you know, that, that's a festival. And I was a long time thinking all the walking festivals used to be grouped around the warm, you know, the nice summer months. And I remember making a suggestion at one stage that we should, someone should try a winter walking festival. Mm. And indeed, these people did. And in fact, it has been a great success. And of course, the Glen of Aherlow offers superb walking because you can have anything from going up over Galtie Moor. And at this time of the year now, with a cold snap coming up, there'll be a good chance you'll be crunching through snow up there on the festival and then you have moderate walks each day as well and then you have a low level easy walk and one then if you're just getting out if you've never done it before because to be fully organised on Friday night for a fiver you can come along and join their night walk and I think that's a great introduction and there's something surreal about being out in the hills at night and then you'll see all the lights twinkling in the valleys below it's fantastic so I think don't miss it it's a great you know it's all done by volunteerism Uh, get up there and uh, so that's the end of the month is it? it is the end of the month it's the 26th 27th and 28th so try to get up for at least one of the walks there there's something for everyone and of course then there's the wonderful they have the hotel facilities as well which which, which is great yeah St Declan's Way you often speak to us about what what about that? yeah well the big walk is going ahead and St Declan's Way I think is powering its way ahead now to being a success people are coming in from abroad just to do St Declan's Way would never come to Ireland uh, otherwise and we have then the major walk is going on it's a springtime walk doing the whole lot but if you don't feel you have the stamina and that's what it takes to do all six uh, stages of the walk what you can do is do it over three weekends it'll be fully organised so 23rd and 24th of March will be, be Cashel you'll go from Cashel over two days to Goten Bridge April 6th and 7th Goten Bridge uh, down to Lismore and then Lismore to Ardmore down in County Waterford and that's on the 20th and 21st so in other words you only have two days walking so if you, when you do six consecutively if you're not used to it you'll tend to blister and that kind of thing right. so it's a very good introduction everything will be organised so I won't fully explain it but you just to say that we say the first day you come to care they have parking there for you win and have coffee and scones sit on a bus go back to Cashel walk to care more tea and sandwiches afterwards walk out sit into your car and that's how it's walked done every day and it's the wonderful work of the Knock Meal Down Active who I might say here I've walked with him but in my opinion one of the finest volunteer uh, community development organisations in the country all right. up anyway at St Declan's Way i.e. Right and uh, of course you must book indeed uh, for, for, for that you have a date for our diary as well? Yeah well I have indeed well this is a bit of a long way off but and I think looking at because I was listening coming in uh, there was a very interesting interview there about COVID and Michael Sutton is one I think of the victims of COVID lovely man fantastic man but we couldn't say goodbye to him you know we were all standing outside in the street separated yeah. we couldn't do that and then we couldn't have something in his honour because he was a man that never ever 
never put himself first. If ever there was a man who taught to his own cost all the time about other people, that was Michael. But it's going ahead now, and we're going to just, I'm just giving just a date to save. It'll be out of, in Upper Church, and it'll be on on April the 6th, a memorial walk for Michael. We've finally gotten around to do it and, and, and beaten COVID and that. And, uh, you know, it'll be great that we'll finally be able to celebrate that. that, that this. Very, very good indeed. The Spring Charity Challenge. Yeah. Well, I think I was talking to you about that. We'll say Mid-Tape Hill Walkers and other supporters as well. Last year, we gave out 23,500 to, to charities, which isn't, isn't too bad, you it know. Not, and yeah. it's great for them. They don't have to go around with buckets and that kind of thing. Now we're broke, so we have to start again. And it's great to be broke. That's yeah, the way to have yeah. it out there. So we're starting again and we'll be, uh, we have the autumn, uh, the, sorry, we have the spring challenge going ahead and we're going to a relatively new place for us. We're going up to County Down and we'll have the beautiful Morn Mountains. You play that at the social dancing for the sweep down to the sea. You can't, you couldn't divide it. Firstly, French, you can't. And I'll be doing as well as that. The Belfast Hills will be doing, looking down on Belfast, talking about the history of it. Belfast Castle. It's always a great weekend, and then we always come away from these weekends with seven or eight grand, and it's painless because people feel they got value for money. And if you want to uh, talk about that, um, you 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 can uh, look up the Autumn Spring Challenge. Sorry. At gmail.com, mm. autumn spring challenge at gmail.com, or you can bring re- breed at 086 807 1753. And um, the dates that's going ahead then are the, do, do, is to, uh, the 12th. 13th and 14th of April. But it's open for booking now and it does Pretty tend good. to book up quite fast. It's a great weekend away, 150 people. So look forward to that. And it's mid-tip who provide all the leadership. And, for and outside of those highlights, John, of course, there's lots of other opportunities. There is, to walk I mean, well, yeah. all the clubs, I don't want to say my own club, but all the clubs yeah. are on, have walking virtually every Sunday. Mid-tip have two, sometimes three walks. They'll have an A and maybe a C walk or a, a B walk and a C walk and they'll also have a ramble as well as that during the summer they have their Friday evening walks as well as that but that's just the one I know about but I know our good friends in Nina do exactly the same thing explore the countryside we have a, a the Rosgrey uh, ramblers as well as that of course we have peaks down here in Clonmel Galti oh, I mean just join it but the thing to remember is don't be put off every club does introductory walks and you will learn a lot because one of the things you can do is you people don't know the countryside but you start walking with say with Galti then you get to know the walks and then you know you may, be not, well, you may not have the time to go out anymore you can go on those walks yourself and then of course we'll, there's layers of history to be of course of well. course and you bring so much of that uh, to us uh, through the walks and talks but now you're going off on a slightly different tack <laughs> with us as well uh, you're heading for the villages of the county we are indeed yes and you know something until um, Alison rang me up and said we, we could do this I was thinking of it myself you know the way the two of us started off doing yeah. that and, you know we're going off up uh, we're going off up we'll say uh, the devil's bit or someplace yeah. like that yeah. but I said yeah but what about this great stories and all these villages as well as that and that's the idea so we it's great because you know how little time you have on radio and we have time here we have one hour yeah. for each village and that's masterful so what will actually happen is now we're i'll give you an example we're starting in upper church yes. where else could we start of only course, the center yeah. of community development we're starting there and that will be on wednesday week but i'll do a walk first and i'll talk in a broad sense as far as i know it about the history but that will raise lots of questions mm. and that will be very interesting so we'll probably talk about aim and a connect there but 
what I'd be fascinated about as well as that is the war of independence and how the you know the people up there attack barracks like Ross Keane and forced the RIC out of those. And once they'd forced them out then, they were top dogs in the territories. They could set up their own courts and that kind of thing. I think Paddy Canan was involved in that. Want to find out more about those great stories up there and no. always, you know, it's the hill country people, whatever, oh, were the first yeah. to reject authority. Well, that's that's for sure. And but you'd be speaking to ordinary people yes, getting the stories of the village. The stories of the village, getting in the, the historians, those kind of people as well. People, and then looking at the villages from the point of view I mean what I would call them is these are the non-Aldi and Lydell villages they don't have that benefit <laughs> and they're the ones that are under pressure yes, you know that of course they so are, yeah. you know they're Aldi know what they're doing they're losing their little shops and yes. they're losing all now, of that now I'm very excited I hope to get around to some of the villages but we're going to lock more as well and there's something I think that we can transform it for rural Ireland that's where uh, it first uh, saw the light of day and this this is the community cooperative own cafes. Yeah. There's about seven or eight of them in Tip in your own place, Anna Cathy. There's a lovely Huge one. success there. Uh, and, you know, and, and now it's the, the centre of the social life. Of yeah, the in the way the pub was yeah. in the past. Yeah. So it's, you know, and I see that. So we'll be going and hopefully we'll be in some of the cafes as well. We're then going after Lockmore. We're hoping to be up in Port Row. Great story about the slate there. But I'm fascinated. How did they get that slate yeah. out? In the, yeah. You know, when there was no trains or whatever. To be. Great stories. We're going to look at those. The graves of the Leinster men as well. And then we'll get up, we're going the whole county, so we're going to visit Laura as well as that, and we hope to have 20 villages done, so Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to peeling back the, the, the layers of history and looking under them, and I, it's just something I love, so I'm really excited about All right, this. Well, we're looking forward to it, and it will be every week, and as you say, every it'll be an hour out of the programme every week where we look at the particular villages in, in question. Great to see you, John, Happy New Year, and the, 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 to sum up the message, get out and walk. Get, get out, out and walk as well as that. You'll always, I've never heard anyone saying they regret came back from a walk and regressed it. Alright, Gurmila Mahagut, uh, John, great, great to see you today. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number if you want to chat uh, to uh, Emma. And, of course, you can text and WhatsApp on 083-311-3311. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. We're still getting uh, messages, not just from around Tipperary, from, from all over the country, indeed, following that interview with um, uh, Dr. Billy Ralph there earlier on in the programme. And uh, thank you for all of that. I just don't have time to read everything out, um, but uh, great to hear from people. Uh, Neil is in Kildare this morning listening to us, and Mary is in uh, Kilkenny, and uh, uh, from all over the place. Uh, somebody is in Tullamore listening to us this morning as well for that particular uh, interview, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, and thank you for that. We will be speaking about gardening uh, a little later on in the uh, programme as well. 
And uh, if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please, as soon as you can on that uh, text and WhatsApp number. All right, then, it is time for our Garda slot. And I'm glad to be joined by Sergeant Carol O'Leary, who is uh, Sergeant in Charge of Care Garda Station. Good morning to you, Carol. Good morning, Fran. Happy New Year. Many happy returns to you, indeed, on this rather cold day. Can we start in north of the county, Carol? An incident at the Millerbrook uh, estate. There was... There was an incident up there in the Millersbrook estate in Nina on the 27th of December where a man unfortunately suffered injuries, was the victim of a robbery. There was investigations that carried out and a search and arrest operation was put in place by Gardaí up from the detective office in Nina. And on the 3rd of January, a search was carried out in Nina and one man was detained on suspicion of involvement in that robbery. So he was questioned and later charged. So a good result from there after an unfortunate incident at the start of the new year. Good result indeed. Now some of the detective units uh, attached to to Nina, will you tell me about that operation in Limerick? There was. It was a lot of work and a lot of planning put into place there before the Christmas break on the 18th of December when members of the detective units from Nina, Thurlis and Gort in County Galway carried out a search and arrest operation in Limerick. They were targeting individuals that were believed to have been involved in commercial burglaries in Tipperary, Limerick and Galway over the course of the summer last year. So one man was arrested on suspicion of an offence, participating in criminal activities and crimes by an organised criminal organisation. And he was detained and questioned at length. He has been released and a file was gone to the DPP now. So we'll hopefully see results from there fairly soon. Very good indeed. Now that very well publicised incident that occurred in Rear Cross where the young man was injured with, with a bullet. The, the Gardaí, your colleagues looking for some help on this, Carmel? They, they are and I suppose I'd start by again wishing the gentleman involved all the best. It was a terribly traumatic and upsetting for people there mm. present with it. But Gardaí are hoping to still speak to anyone that was hunting in the Rear Cross area between 8 o'clock and half 9 on the 6th of January to contact Nina Garda Station. Shortly before 9 o'clock on that date, Gardaí and Nina got a recall in relation to the shooting where, unfortunately, a player received a gunshot wound to his arm. It's As, it, as it's been reported, it was believed it may have come from someone that was out hunting in the night in question mm. and travelled a distance. A lot of people have contacted Nina to say that they're in possession of guns and that they weren't out that night, but Gardaí up there are still hoping to speak to someone that might have been, again, quite a distance away, but just to be aware of it. And it, it, it does seem to be an unfortunate accident at this stage but we're still appealing for witnesses or anyone that you might know that might have been out shooting that right. night. But your colleagues obviously taking this very seriously uh, indeed Carol. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, criminal damage as well, will you tell me about that? On the 2nd of January so just into the new year, approximately 2.30am, Gardaí again up in Nina received a report of damage at a business premises on Silver Street in Nina. Gardaí are sourcing all the CCTV that they can and seeking two men believed to have been responsible for the incident or if anyone was around at that stage it would have been the night of New Year's Day 2.30 in the morning onto the the Tuesday there so if you were around or driving or dropping people back to the airport or or home Mm. please if you have any dash cam or if you saw anything unusual give colleagues up in Nina a shout. Right, very good indeed. Now once again Carol it's the the uh, opening segment of the New Year but we're still talking about uh, investment scams uh, mainly online I suppose. We are, and again, Declan O'Carroll there, who's also amateur yourself, has been fortunately dealing with a case where a lot of cash, a lot of money has been, sorry, not cash, has been mm. lost by people on investment scams online. In the first week of the year, over 100,000 in crypto scams have been wow. reported to Nina. 100,000 euro, my God. It is, and unfortunately people are so trusting with them. They involve individuals finding a website, investing what they believe is cryptocurrency, 
the scams are very professional, mm. very elaborate looking. As I always say to people, that's their job. Mm. They're doing their best to make their bit of money out of it. And unfortunately, people have invested, but then when they go to withdraw the money, they realise it's gone, they cannot retrieve it. So separately, a number of individuals have also clicked on links mm. sent to their phone, which again, very, very convincing, very realistic, very plausible to trust with them. But we'd urge people to please be cautious and always think twice. And if you do receive a link from whether it's a bank telling you that your account has been subject to fraudulent mm. activity, go to a source, go to the bank itself or go in through their website. Never click on the link. And again, be cautious if you are investing any money. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Of course. But the point you're making, making is it's so sophisticated. We have to be so careful, Carol. Oh, they're getting better you know. and better. Yeah. And we've seen them. A lot of people would come into us for guidance to kind of mm. say, look, this looks real. What do you think yourselves? And I always tell people, it's their job. They are doing their best. They are professionals at this. So they'll they'll make it look as good as they can. And unfortunately, people get caught. One of our listeners wanted me to ask you about the cold weather and, and the like and how we should look after the cars and, and stuff. Will you tell us a little bit about that, Carol? It is. We see it a lot. I suppose we're up bright and early in the morning and heading home early in the morning. You see a lot of people driving with the smallest of little gaps done yeah, in the front windscreen. Yeah, that was Brian's point to us earlier on. He was horrified by it, yeah. It is. And in the morning, I suppose you never know what you're going to face, whether it was a frozen car or not. But you do need to take the time to clear it to clear your car completely so that you have full, full vision across it. Put down the Nespresso coffee or while your coffee is mm. brewing, go out, check the car and clear it completely. It is an offence to drive without full vision right. and full... That's that's what he was asking, Carol. It is definitely an offence, isn't it? It is, 100%. Yeah. It is, uh, it's, you could be considered for driving without due care and attention mm. if you're not able to properly see for your own safety and for everybody else. And unfortunately, we see people, particularly on mornings like today now, where cars were frozen over yeah. with smallest little letterbox sizes, yeah. gaps in it. It does clear and it will clear. But in that time, the time it takes while you're on the road, it could mm. have very serious consequences if you're not able to see it clearly. So are we talking about penalty points, uh, fines? We are. We're talking yeah. about you get a fixed charge penalty notice initially and you could get a fine and a conviction and penalty points if you chose not to pay it and headed to court. Obviously, they increase there. But initially, it would be a fixed charge penalty notice for driving without due care and attention. Right, and Brian made the point that in the mornings, people driving around schools and stuff, I mean, if you have limited visibility, I mean, that can be deadly. It's so dangerous. And appreciate, time is precious, and people are more than likely running to drop their children off to school. But you have to take the time, just as I said, get up in the morning, and before you get the breakfast or the coffee, Mm. go out, look at your car, and plan, right, I need to clear that before I get into the car and start the engine. You know, or even if you're living in a secure area, yes, you can start the engine. But if you're living in somewhere where people are passing, we obviously don't advise people to let the engine running and then go back in and get ready for the day. For sure. You have some advice for us where the tyres are concerned as well. It's something this time of year, today especially, I would encourage people to take the 10 minutes to sit down and have a look at the tyres and get the tyres checked. If you're not confident yourself, go to a garage, go to a tyre shop across the county, get your tyres checked. They're the only contact your car has with the ground. And in this type of weather, for the next few months now, we're looking at frosty, icy, black ice, Mm. shockingly cold road conditions. So get them checked. Don't forget to check the spare tyre as well. A lot of people will forget that, that Mm. it's there. But when you need it, it also needs to be roadworthy with the correct depth and coverage and safety. Again, it is an offence, but more importantly, it's for safety reasons that we would encourage people to today take the 10 minutes when you get home, check the tyres. As I said, if you're not confident yourself, go get them checked in a tyre shop. What can you tell us, Carol, about the the Patrician Primary School in in Feathert and uh, the fire there? 
there is, I suppose, again, it was one that was well documented mm. and we just like to reassure people that it was, it was a derelict building that wasn't in use. It mm. was abandoned. There's no, there's nothing to suggest that it was any way linked or was being proposed for any developments. Mm. But the investigations, the initial investigations have taken place and it is, scenes of crime now will tell a lot, but at the moment it's early stages to say what has, the, what the cause of it was. Mm, right, but the investigation will determine, I suppose, whether it was malicious or accidental or, yeah. or, or, or whatever. All right, if we move to uh, Tipperary Town then, Carol, if that's uh, okay, and uh, an unused house broken into. Yes, there was on the 1st of January, between three, sorry, between 3 o'clock on the 1st of January and 5 o'clock on the 6th of January, so that first real full week of the new year, an unused house was broken into in the Shronal Big area of Tip Town. Quantity of copper piping was removed from the property. So again, if you've seen anyone or if anyone has offered you, if you're in the building trade or any, find any use for copper tra- piping, please mm. contact Gardaí if you've seen anything unusual there between the 1st and the 6th in Shronal Big. I'm always incredulous at what some people will steal. A water tank, for example. It's of use to someone and unfortunately someone decided to take it for whatever reasons. Between the 5pm on the 5th of January and half nine on the 6th of January, a water tank was stolen from farmland in the Stone Park area of Aherlow. In particular, a guardian appealing for anyone in the farming community who may have been offered a tank in unusual or suspicious circumstances. And it would be unusual to have a once-off water tank being offered to you. Wasn't it just indeed? Uh, some cars uh, interfered with in uh, James Connolly Park, I think. Four cars were unfortunately on the between 10 o'clock on the 4th of January and 6 a.m. on the 5th of January. Four cars were interfered with in the Pierce Park, James Connolly Park, Lakelands, and St. Michael's Avenue areas of Tiptown. There were two, I suppose, kind of younger people seen acting suspiciously in the area at the time. If you've seen anything or were aware of anything, please give Tipperary Town a call. And again, just to urge people not to leave anything in their car overnight, which could draw attention to it, and people may just take the chance and unfortunately break into a car if they see anything left abandoned in it. Of course, to your own area then, uh, Carol, to to care. And you have that wonderful annual event and you're extending an invitation, I guess. We are. Caregardie, this has been going on for over 20 years now at this stage. And this year, again, Caregardie would like to invite any older person. We're not putting a minimum or a maximum age on it (laughs) to attend their care house hotel on Friday the 19th of January, starting at 5 p.m., Anyone that comes can look forward to an evening filled with music by our very own Superintendent Golden. He's performing the tunes again. Dancing, refreshments and spot prizes. If you are dropping someone off, we'd urge and welcome you to stay for the evening and enjoy the event. And if anybody needs any transport to or from the event, please give us your ring in care and we can arrange it between 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock on Friday the 19th. It's a lovely idea, that, isn't it? And it's oh, great, great for interaction with locals and... It's, yeah. it's such a great night to see the dance floor filled. Once Superintendent Golden gets started, he tends to play the music of choice. <laughs> so we'll take requests beforehand if you want to send one <laughs> in there, Fran. We'll dedicate a tune to you. But it is. It's just nothing but joy on the night. And it's lovely, lovely to see it. So we really... It's funny how you meet people down there and they think, oh, I was too young to be attending this. And that's why I said. There is no age limit. You know, yeah. there really isn't. It's I just think it's a, a lovely great idea. Great night out. Lovely great idea, time here. Indeed. Uh, now, I was speaking to John G. O'Dwyer there. Uh, I'm sure you were too busy to listen, but uh, just before 11, about walking. And, uh, you know, while it's great and everybody should be out doing it, I suppose, you have some uh, you have some advice for people, I guess, Carol. We do. This time of year, we would see an increase in people inspired with the new year to head up to the mountains or head out 
admiring the great views mm. around the Premier County. So we would encourage people just to take some time to prepare themselves so that they don't get into difficulty before it. Because with the range of mountains across the county, you have to be aware that the higher the temperature you go, the lower it can drop quite dramatically. So it's, if you go up 100 metres, it'll be one degree colder. So if you keep climbing, 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 you'll find the cold mm. fairly quick yeah. with it. Um, most importantly, decide where you're going and how long it should take you. And look at the weather. Look at the weather forecast for that time. Don't assume that just by looking out the window you'll find how yourself, how it's going. Ensure you're going to be off the hills before dark. The clocks did change there and we've seen a little bit of a stretch mm. in the evenings but it can still quickly come down upon people very, very quickly that they're on the hills or out and about in unfamiliar areas in the dark. Don't walk alone unless there's a chance that you're going to a very busy area along any of the blueways. Yes. would be somewhere less it was high risk but if you're heading up into the Galtees or the Knockmill Downs you might wander up there and not see anyone for the night um, wear clothing that is suitable carry a rucksack and most importantly tell someone that you're going and tell someone when you should be back mm. so that mm. if they're if you're not back within a reasonable time of your supposed return time they can contact the emergency services Very good, yeah. and if you're on the mountain yourself and you realise look this isn't going well or I'm not going to make this down we would urge people to ask for help as soon as you realise you're in danger mm. um, bec- or you're not going to make it down because the earlier we can get to help and get people to help you, then the better. Yes, of course, there's not always service on the mountains, either. You have to take that into account, I guess, Carol. Absolutely, and yeah. that's why if you tell people someone on the ground and mm. tell your route, yeah. tell them, look, I'm heading, I'm going to go this way and this way. And because initially, if people are starting out this time of year, go to areas that you know or that are familiar or that are, that are well marked. Mm. don't take off yourself there and head up Galtee Moor if you've never been up there before. If It can of be course, confusing, yes. it can be disorientating. You, your advice is to join a, a club, I suppose, where there's experienced people there available to, to accompany you. and to. Yeah. There's a lot of clubs around the country, mm. and even if there isn't, start one off in your own community. Yeah. But the safety in numbers, there's always safety in numbers, particularly on the mountains or out on the hills or the, the wilds of Tipperary. Of course, um, yes. Well, I, I, I have little experience of walking, but John G. took me, well, he took me on several walks, but one in particular, a mist came down, Carol, and it came down so quickly, I couldn't believe how disorientated I was. I mean, I literally wouldn't have known where to go. It's so it's so easy to become so disorientated. I recall there was a couple, again, they were climbing up in the V and got stuck into the rhododendrons up there, yeah, which are yeah. beautiful, but lost all sense of direction. Yeah. Could not tell if they were going up or down. As you say, can happen so quickly that you just lose your bearings and mm. yeah, take yeah. your time. Don't be in any rush up there. And as I said, stick to the greenways or the blueways um, or walk down by the Swiss Cottage here in Care. It's a beautiful stroll it's, out it's, of an it's evening. It's gorgeous altogether. Let's go to the Thurless area uh, finally. And, and tell me about that vehicle that was driven in a rather strange manner. There was. There was an incident there where while Gardaí were on patrol, they saw a car being driven in an erratic manner they saw that as they were went to the car they saw a male kicking the front of the car as it was being driven they spoke to him who was very aggressive very uncooperative and he was arrested then they went on and spoke to the driver who was also unfortunately still in this new year drink driving uh, allegedly and was arrested and he was taken to the guard station he was found to be over the limit in relation to alcohol and his breath so both parties have been charged to court and i'm sure the real reason why that little distribution Come to the fore. Was one of the Gardaí attacked, in fact? They were. Unfortunately, a colleague up in Thurlis was headbutted, so again, we'd wish them well. It, unfortunately, it happens in the, the simplest and the most innocuous of situations that can happen, so we'd wish them well and something mm. we unfortunately have to deal with. I got. Um, intruders uh, on the premises as well. 
There was Gin Guardian's Hurlist received a report of intruders at a premises. Gardaí, both plainclothes and uniform, attended within minutes when they found the suspect. Residents of the address had returned to phones. Unfortunately, their house premises had been ransacked. They heard noises in an upstairs bedroom where he, the person was arrested, taken to Thurlis Garda Station and was charged. And he was also found in possession of cannabis, which will also be dealt with separately. All right. We seem to be hearing more about theft from shops as well, uh, Carol. And this is, this is no different this week. It is. And it could be, unfortunately, a lot of times just the cost of living that people mm. are trying to go any route possible to get... Mm. groceries for themselves but on a recent occasion there in Thurlis Gardaí received a report of a theft from a shop where male had taken a bottle of alcohol to the value of 30 euro so mm. um, taking it out of the shop he was arrested the property was recovered thankfully for the shop owners he left the shop was identified and later arrested and it's something that for any mm. of the shops they are suffering a lot and no more than the rest of the country they're doing their best in difficult times for sure, and we hear a lot about it here on uh, the programme. Just finally, some of the stuff you come across, I'm always incredulous about. A, a man asleep. Yeah, just asleep on the side of the road. They went to him, they met him, and he was unfortunately very, very drunk. So he was arrested for his own safety and received a ticket as he left the guard station. It's something that, again, you can see at all times of the day or night. Hopefully dry January will ease things up for the for, for a little bit, but any time of the day. Well, I'm glad you're more optimistic than, than me, Carol. <laughs> I'm always optimistic, <laughs> Great to talk to you, Carol, and thanks so much for your time. Thank no you. problem. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye to you. Now, it's uh, Sergeant Carol O'Leary, and Carol is the sergeant in charge of uh, Care Garda Station. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slatteries of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie yeah, I'm still looking at the uh, response to the interview with uh, Dr. Billy Ralph uh, today. Um, I was just chatting to Emma about this and probably the most response we've gotten to an item in quite a long time, um, both on text and WhatsApp and indeed phone calls to, to Emma as well. Um, so much so that I, I can't even begin to start reading them out. Lots, lots and lots of stuff in there. Um, almost all, with very few exceptions, um, um, applauding, I suppose, the, the, the conversation and the content of the conversation, one thing and another. Um, also where David Doran was concerned, former county councillor David, speaking about uh, how some roads are not being uh, salted or gritted. Uh, one listener says, good morning, just listening to David on your show. Everything he says is true. The Holy Cross to Ballycahill Road is never assaulted, nor is the Cormac's town to Thurless. While they are secondary roads, they have a high volume of traffic always. No reason in this day and age why this should not be done. This is one of uh, our listeners. And um, councillors and wannabe councillors who vote against every revenue-raising measure but still want endless amounts of money allocated to new increased spending. Disconnect from reality, just naked populism, says one of uh, our listeners. I'm not sure if it's naked populism, if somebody is reflecting what they're being told by people out there. But anyway, uh, somebody else says, uh, Silvermines to Nina Road is never gritted, but the dollar to Nina one is. I can't understand it. Silvermines Road is very busy. People going to work early in the morning and mothers driving the kids to school. It just doesn't seem fair, says one of our listeners. Now, for the 65th instalment of Tipperary's Hidden History, uh, Dr. Connor Reedy takes us inside the walls of Nina Jail on the eve of the Great Famine. Now, suspicion, menace and a bad feeling 
everywhere and that was just among the prison staff. 1845 turned out to be a landmark year in the young life of Nina Jail as it saw the killing of one turnkey, the jailing of another, the transfer of a third and the sacking of a governor. April 1845, Ireland had not yet entered the Great Famine. There was little indication that what was arguably the worst chapter in the history of the Irish people was about to unfold during the years ahead. In that sense, life went on as normal in the spring months of 1845. The prisons of the country were not yet overflowing with the poor and impoverished who would commit crimes as a way of seeking shelter and sustenance during subsequent years. At Nina Jail, things were no different. Since it opened just three years earlier, hundreds of men and women and a few children passed through its gates for crimes that earned punishments ranging from a few days in prison to a trip to the gallows. For a bit of context, the average daily number of prisoners in Nina Jail during 1845 was around 117. Some 1,074 prisoners passed through the jail in the year between September 1845 and September 1846. This is just to give you a sense of the scale of the prison population in Nina. On the last Thursday night of April 1845, things appeared to plod along as normal. All the attendant problems of a 19th century Irish jail continued to challenge the authorities and this was par for the course. Sometime during the week, a prisoner named Ryan managed to escape from the jail and so there was a heightened security and a doubling of the guard. There was some chatter or intelligence emerging from across the jail population that more prisoners planned to scale the outer walls. There was even a rumour that the governor himself would be attacked. This led to some heightened tension and, quite understandably, a level of paranoia. Isaac Mills was one of the turnkeys, or warders, at Nina Jail. He was scheduled to be on duty that day, but asked one of his colleagues, Henry Cole, to take his place. There was quite likely nothing unusual about this arrangement, but for the fact that when Mills returned to the jail with a view to going on duty at around nine o'clock that night, he was tipsy. He went to bed, and just an hour later he got up, went to Henry Cole and told him he was ready to take over and see out the rest of the night. His colleague refused to surrender the shift as he reckoned that Isaac Mills was still too drunk to do his duty. He told him to go back to bed and he would cover his shift for the rest of the night. Mills refused to cooperate and insisted on going on his rounds anyway. This would be a fateful and indeed a fatal decision. Meanwhile, while Mills was still in bed, two other turnkeys named Green and Purtle began a tour of the interior boundary walls of the jail. They did this on previous instructions from the governor. Remember, there was a heightened tension following the escape of a prisoner earlier in the week. In fact, this was not normally part of either man's duty, but simply an additional security measure. The governor had left clear instructions. Turnkeys had his consent to shoot any prisoner attempting to escape over the boundary wall. But they should be challenged before fired upon. It was, of course, more desirable to capture any would-be escapee rather than kill them but the option was open to shoot. Elsewhere on the jail campus, at around 10 o'clock, 
Henry Cole followed Mills at a distance as the drunken turnkey began what was his usual circuit around Nina Jail. Green and Purtle were just coming to the end of their first journey around the interior walls when they were directed to go again. As they started out, they heard a voice shout, All's well. They heard the same shout one or two more times and they recognised the voice of their colleague Isaac Mills. They could sense somehow that he had drink taken but felt he probably was not too drunk. As they walked slowly under the shadow of a high wall but still illuminated by the moonlight, they heard a demanding shout. Who goes there? The men could vaguely make out the figure of Mills from a distance. Mills, however, seemed unable to identify his fellow turnkeys. A friend, replied Officer Purtill. He barely got the words out when he was struck by a gunshot to the chest. William, I'm shot, exclaimed the stricken turnkey. Green roared at the shooter. You murdering villain, why did you shoot that man? He lunged forward and, in his own words, made a prisoner of Mills. The mildly drunken officer had shot his colleague, wrongly believing him to be a prisoner up to no good under the cover of partial darkness. Because the jail was operating under slightly different security protocols that night, it was very likely that Mills was unaware that Green and Purtill would be making these internal perimeter patrols of the facility. In the heat of the melee, Green disarmed Mills, who had been carrying a dagger, as well as the firearm that struck his colleague. Soon after the shooting, Dr O'Neill Quinn from Nina arrived at the jail and attended to the stricken turnkey. He could barely detect a pulse. The shot entered Purtill between the first and second rib and wounded his blood vessels and lungs on its journey. The horrific event happened on a Thursday night. The following Monday night, turnkey Purtill succumbed to his wounds and died. Isaac Mills was arrested and held on remand at Nina Jail, charged with the murder of Purtill. The following July, he appeared at the Assizes in Nina where he went on trial for manslaughter. Perhaps the most important witness to testify was his fellow turnkey, Henry Cole. After all, he was the one standing in for Mills during that fateful day and night. He was the one to witness him return from whatever it was kept him away from his duties that day, from whatever it was that caused him to become mildly drunk. He was the one who tried to dissuade him from going back on duty, despite being incapable of work. He was also some yards away from the incident that led to the fall and subsequent death of Purtle. Henry Cole provided a highly incriminating version of events and even after hearing this first witness, it was clear that Isaac Mills would have a very difficult time convincing the jury that he was not guilty of something. Turnkey William Green provided a very different perspective on the incident, but it largely concurred with Cole's version. Green was, after all, the one standing between the stricken officer when the shot struck. It was he who first revealed that the defendant Isaac Mills and Henry Cole, one of the key Crown witnesses, were actually brothers-in-law. But since this incident, we're not sure if it was because of it, he had moved to become a turnkey at Clonmel Jail. William Green made a point of stressing that all of the men involved, including the victim, were in full uniform that night, complete with shiny buttons that would have been visible in the moonlight and assisted other officers in identifying them as turnkeys. The former governor at Nina Jail, Jonathan Smith, testified about his instructions to shoot any would-be escapees trying to make their way over the wall that Thursday night in April. He revealed that the prisoner who had escaped earlier that week was detained in a section of the prison to which Mills was usually assigned. It's not altogether clear whether the governor was putting this forward as a mitigating factor 
or some sort of feeble excuse as to why Mills might have been a bit more trigger happy. But intriguingly, he revealed that he had lost confidence in the young turnkey following his recent marriage. The defending lawyer, Mr Hatchell, told the jury that while it was unfortunate that a life had been lost, there was no evidence of malice in the actions of Isaac Mills. He and the victim had no previous personal difficulties with each other. Given the circumstances of that particular week, the dynamics of the paranoia that had taken hold as a result of prisoner escapes and potential further attempts, it was natural that he was carrying a loaded weapon. Indeed, it was a requirement of his job that week. In fact, Hatchell appeared with very little subtlety to lay some of the blame at the feet of the now former governor. He had assigned Isaac Mills to do his usual duty that night, patrolling his part of the prison, but without informing him, he sent two other turnkeys out to patrol the interior of the perimeter of the outer walls. He went on to point out that when asked who goes there by Mills that night, the victim should have given a clearer answer than a friend. Reason would dictate that a prisoner attempting to escape would probably have given this very answer. Now this was clearly a risky strategy by the defender, but in fairness he had nothing much else to work with by way of a defence. In summing up, which was probably much more biased than it would be today, the judge appeared to be having none of it. The defendant was guilty of a gross dereliction of duty and brought this about by depriving himself of those faculties with which his creator had endowed him. Those are the judge's words, not mine. He was referring to the fact that Mills went on duty in an inebriated state. He told the jury that the question came down to whether a sober man in the full possession of his intellects would, under the same circumstances, have thought it necessary to fire in order to prevent the escape of a prisoner. They would have to consider whether he was in a rational state of mind when he fired the shot. Indeed, would it have been necessary to fire the shot? even if this had been an escaping prisoner. 24-year-old Isaac Mills was found guilty and sentenced to six months for the manslaughter of his colleague. He served his time in Nina Jail, the very prison where he was employed as a turnkey when his crime was committed. This was not the end of the story. Later in 1845, the Inspector General of Prisons for Ireland, in his regular annual report on the state of the prison system in this country, revealed that a government-ordered inquiry into the episode at Nina Jail found that considerable blame attached to the governor. It also found that, and I quote, a bad feeling had arisen amongst the officers and a relaxed discipline consequently, unquote. The governor was found to be largely responsible, and I quote again, for want of a steady conduct in suppressing by a sound judgment these irregularities and not seeing the manifest results of not early correcting them." Unquote. So serious was this responsibility that Governor Smith was severely reprimanded by the inquiry. A few weeks later, the High Sheriff dismissed him from his job for other causes. One can only begin to imagine the dynamics of that six-month sentence served by Isaac Mills and how it worked out. How was he regarded by his fellow prisoners over whom he had once exercised authority as their jailer? How was he treated by his former colleagues, one of whom he was serving a sentence for killing? By the time he was released in January 1846, did he need to spend time in what we now know as solitary confinement for his own protection? Or was he given favourable treatment? So many questions on this fascinating incident, but as happens all too often, the answers must remain part of Tipperary's hidden history.
And that's the wonderful Dr. Connor Reedy there with the 65th instalment. Can you believe 65 instalments of uh, Tipperary's uh, hidden history? By the way, if you want to listen back to some of those fascinating uh, stories, uh, you can do so online. And it's tipperaryhiddenhistory.com. Uh, and it's just a treasure trove of uh, quirky. Uh, quirky history by uh, the great uh, Dr. Connor Reedy there. 1800-938-007. We were talking about the rose there. A listener telling me that the cross of Palace on the way to Bursley is treacherous and it always is when there's frost because the water was not diverted off the road but it's never gritted either, Fran, it says here. All right, then we'll be talking about gardening in just a little while. But Pat brought us a story. Uh, during the morning that 85% of drivers believe that headlights are too uh, bright. And we've put that up on our social media platforms and we're getting a huge reaction uh, to this. So it seems to be an issue because according to a survey uh, in the UK, a majority of drivers uh, responded um, to report a rise in glare since the previous year. Now, it appears that some of the newer cars, I think, some of these... uh, um, uh, LED type lights are particularly blinding indeed. So what's your experience of that? And we will discuss it on the programme tomorrow. What is your experience of driving at night? Has it become more difficult because of uh, this? And again, if you want to talk to Emma about this, 1800-938-007. Gardening's coming up. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning, Fran. And uh, good to talk to you today and a happy new year to you as well. Um, it's very, very cold out there and it looks like we're going to have a cold snap for a while. Uh, what should we take account where the garden is concerned uh, around yeah, yeah. Uh, the frost? Yeah, really at this time of the year, uh, because it gets so cold and, and because it has been so mild pr- prior yeah. to this, is that there has been an awful of soft growth. Like an awful lot of um, herbaceous perennials and, and even even uh, rhubarb and, and um, even some, some of the... the say asparagus or, or artichokes, things are starting to sprout a little yeah. bit early. So really you have to kind of protect those plants from any any um, hard frost or, or frost damage. So re- what I tend to do at this time of year, it's a great thing to do actually, is just to mulch around um, the borders. Now what I mean by that is using either bark mulch or farmer manure or even, even cocoa shells, something like that, just to, to mulch around the bed so that it protects the, the, the roots of the plant from any frost damage, and even even the crowns of any of your herbaceous perennials from any any um, severe frost damage. So things like a couple of years ago, we had nearly went to minus ten, um, and a lot mm-hmm. of things were killed in the frost. Um, so really, to, to protect your plants from any 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 damage, there's a lot of plants that are coming into flower now. Uh, things like the lovely camellias, and the camellias are, have these lovely large big flower buds on them, and they're, they give a great at this time of the year and a lot of them are coming to flower quite early now because it has been so mild but with this kind of late uh, frost uh, you will have to protect them so put a kind of a a frost fleece over this this is almost like a sheet that you put drape over over your camellia plants 
and that will protect the buds from any any um, uh, hard frost. Because really, when the when the, the buds are are so big on it that when when the frost comes on it, it tends to knock off the flower buds off the the camellias. So if you put a, a frost piece over that, that protects them from any any frost damage. And things like um, uh, what's lovely as well are the Pierce forest flames. These are the ones that have the lovely, the new growth in it turns lovely bright red foliage on it. They're fantastic plants at this time of the year. And really, and you want to have that new growth protected by putting the frost trees over it. Remember, we have, um, don't you, the Escalonia hedging mm. or even the, the Hebes or the Grisselinia. Now, if you have um, Escalonia or, or Grisselinia hedging as well, it's a good idea is try and mulch as much as possible down to the base of the, the hedge and that will protect it from, from any severe frost getting down to the root system of it. Sometimes a lot of the top growth will get burnt on the hedge, but if you protect it at the roots of it, it's the re-sprout again and, and mm. come back down. It's that, just that as good as well. hard frost you're referring to there some years ago, our grisselinia, like, really badly damaged, really ba- badly burnt with it. Yeah, and yeah. Even, thing, even things like, um, uh, what's it, the formiums, mm. uh, and, and the formiums in New Zealand flax, uh, they, and I, I would find them quite hardy, you know, really, mm. uh, but mm. even those got, 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 got uh, severely damaged. Uh, on it. Now they're starting to re-sprout again from the very, very base of it, but really they did get, get on quite quick the view weather on it. So anything that you have that's, that's mm. a little bit more exotic, I suppose, in, in your garden, is just to put, put a, um, a, the frost piece over them um, uh, uh, just the month of uh, uh, January, February, March is the time to cover them uh, just to protect them. A lot of the spring bulbs are starting to re-sprout now as well. Mm. Mm. Like we have snowdrops, or even the daffodils, I even daffodils in flower at the moment, which is, is quite that's, early. That's unbelievable, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it yeah. is. So, so really, um, anything like that. Um, what's a good thing with spring bulbs? You can see them um, now, mm. and it's a good idea is to lift and divide them as much as possible. Like I love snowdrops, and I love snowdrops mm. kind of drift. So this is a good time of year to, to to find out where they are by you see them sprouting up, and then is lift and divide them, and always put kind of five bulbs together. Um, um, so that he gives a great display, and always about nearly about uh, two and a half foot apart or something like that in clumps of five, um, and do a drift of them under under either woodland or even uh, uh, along the edge of the lawn or something like that. So it makes a lovely uh, display in the springtime. Other things that are, are quite good as well are the, I'm sure the, the Mount Brescia. You often find that around the, the coast of Ireland. Uh, it's um, a, a crocosmia. Uh, you can also get the crocosmia lucifer, which is a deep red flower or then just the ordinary Mount Brescia which is lovely orange or yellow that you'd have have on the coast and they're kind of a, a bulbous type plant um, and they're quite a hardy thing really but I mean it, this is the time of year is to lift and divide those as well. Things like asters and phlox, even the chrysanthemums are very good to lift and divide so you continue the, flower, the, the colour throughout your garden. Instead of having one clump of it in one part of the garden lift and divide it and, and have several of them um, in, in amongst your borders so that you'd have the lovely, like the flocks are quite good, lovely daisy type flowers grown yes. darkness, and you have them in lovely pink or white or or, or even the kind of a cream colour as well. Or even the chrysanthemums, just the lovely um, uh, mixed daisies, the, the real big daisy type uh, flowers, and they're lovely right through the summer as well. Again, you can get very tall ones of those as well. But again, lift and divide them uh, throughout your borders. A lovely late summer flowering plants, which are quite nice and to do, to do now to lift and divide would be the rebeccias. And I love the Rebecca's are lovely, the black-eyed Susie's. These lovely um, uh, black eye with a lovely golden uh, petal on it. And they're a lovely daisy-type uh, herbaceous perennial. And again, you can listen to buy those so that you'll have several of them um, in your garden. Um, and again, 
and this doesn't cost anything at all. It's just a matter of lifting, dividing what you have um, and uh, spreading the flowers and the colour throughout your garden. Very good indeed. Uh, some uh, some uh, questions in for you as well, Alton. Somebody wondering about pruning back shrubs and roses with this kind of frosty weather and stuff. Is that advisable? With, um, well, this is a good time to prune back any of your, your listen, more vigorous roses. Things like um, the rugosa roses, or even even if you have a lot of the climbing roses, they tend to get very straggly and, and very untidy looking um, at this time of year. And it's a good time to do that now. It's to prune back hard, uh, back to the main wall, about back to four buds from the main stem, so that you'll have a, a good display of flowers um, based on the wall instead of having them uh, up in the gods um, flowering yeah. or, or, it's, it's important to do prune them back. Now, with a lot of the floribunda roses, I would cut them back to about four buds, um, to the main stem. Again, um, cut back halfway now, um, and then in the middle of May, you can do a harder pruning on it, because you, what you're trying to do is encourage as much growth from the base of the roses as possible so that you have good um, uh, flowers and a good-shaped um, mm. uh, rose shrub uh, so that you have round round shape on it. Mm. And as well as that, um, you could take cuttings from a lot of those uh, rambling roses or scrambling roses now even as well. So anything that you cut back, mm. you can take cuttings from but, as well. But the pruning won't make the, 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 the plant vulnerable in any way in the frosty weather, will it? Uh, no, uh, no, roses are quite hardy. The only thing with roses... Because it has has been so mild uh, previous to this, is that there has been a lot of soft growth, and that soft growth tends to get burnt off in the frost. But really, by pruning, pruning back, you're encouraging more growth from the base of, of the roses. A lot of the roses tend to get very top heavy, and um, uh, we often have um, the, the like almost like the lollipop sticks uh, mm. uh, uh, roses, the the, the um, standard roses, um, and they're they're quite um, good to prune back fairly hard, uh, back back to four buds on the main stem so that you have a lovely round shape to it. If you don't do that, it tends to get too straggly looking and very untidy. Or same with the um, ground, ground cover roses, the lovely carpet roses. Now, with the carpet roses, you can be quite severe with those because they're quite vigorous and they really are fantastic right through the whole summer. Um, or even the, the floribunda roses, like the, the red trumpeter roses, are quite nice as well. But do prune them back um, hard now just to encourage more growth from the base of it. If you don't do that, they tend to get very leggy and straggly, so it's very important to do that now. Quite a few uh, questions in, and we spoke about it, I know, before Christmas, about um, moss, and there seems to be an abundance of it on, on the tarmac and on uh, the footpaths, and again, people looking for that uh, solution that you spoke of uh, for yeah. to get rid of it, Dalton. Yeah, we have, we have a, there's a few, few different products um, on the market, and we have a thing called Tip Top Drive Care, which is very good um, for tarmac atom or, or concrete, and, and, and that's very good for your yard and paths or even, even gravel, gravel yard as well. And, and even if you have tiles uh, on the roof as well, that, that's a, so it won't try and bleach it. So you use one litre to five litres of water, the mixing rate for that. Um, another thing then, if you have just, if, if it's concrete and it has black mottling on it or, or, or that, uh, chlorus is quite good for that as well, just for concrete. And even for tarmacadam, you use four-in-one moss cluster. Um, again, that's quite good for it. It's new tarmacadam is, is so that it doesn't bleach the tarmacadam. And that's, you normally do that now in, in where more shady areas where the tarmacadam is um, so that the sunlight doesn't get at it as you tend to get an awful lot of moss growing on it. Um, now, you, you can also make up your own mix as well. It's vinegar, uh, five litres of vinegar, 
uh, two cups of Bepton salt and a quarter cup of washing up liquid. Uh, um, and that, that will, will do a good job on, on your, your yards and paths as well. Mm. Listen, there's an issue with uh, foxes. And uh, I'm seeing that myself, in fact, uh, an awful lot of foxes around at the moment. But seemingly these foxes, they're eating cables out in the, the lawn and one thing and another. And they're wondering, does Alton have any solution for, for, for that? Yeah, what we have is the, uh, these, these crystals, it's get-off crystals. Um, and you, you put these on, on, on it's almost like a crystallized gel that you put onto blobs uh, on, on pieces of cloth um, around where they where either foxes are fouling or, or if they're if they're um, at, at some caves or anything like that is to put a, a get off crystals. They don't like the smell of it, and that tends to keep them away from that area from doing any damage. Um, so. Uh, you can get that in in in, in our garden centres. Uh, so it's a thing called get-off crystals, and you push a uh, blob of that onto a piece of um, cloth and and pin that down um, into into the lawn area, and um, so that they they don't foul or do any damage. Wow, and and uh, that's effective with with other creatures as well as foxes. It is, and um, yeah. foxes, foxes and rabbits and and um, uh, dogs as well and oh. cats. Oh, yeah. very interesting indeed. Um, somebody wondering, you spoke about roses earlier on, but a suitable time to prune climbing roses. I, I presume the same, the same story. It, it, it is really that, that now now is the time to do that because a lot of the climbing roses would pretend to be very vigorous and um, especially the rambling, scrambling roses that tend to take over uh, quite rampantly. And it's, it's, especially if you have them on a, a gazebo or, or pergola, it's good to wind them around that so that you have a good frame uh, uh, covered uh, with the roses, so any of the long shoots you can you can train back I- I- in, into the frame. But really, anything that's the spacing you're coming out, uh, prune them back to four buds, and that makes the forces us produce side shoots, which makes it much fuller looking, and and uh, you, therefore you get much more better flowers and and color color as well. It's a good idea is to, is to feed the, the roses either with either bulk manure or even the the, the sulphate of potash, and just at the basin, just to encourage. Uh, growth then in the springtime. Yeah, unless they're wondering, gardening ornaments or statues or whatever, are they at risk in the frost from cracking? Or Yeah, uh, yeah. any of the gardening, especially uh, the, the, the kind of fountains and things like that, um, you really should remove the um, the pump, the, the pond pump that's in, in the fountain um, or in the ornament so that it doesn't get any frost damage on it. Um, so generally, generally just take, take the, the, the pond pump out or the, the fountain uh, pump out uh, and store that in your garage, and then once the risk of frost is gone, you can, can re- replace it again. But any any anything that has, um, especially with your large terracotta pots or mm. uh, uh, ornaments, is don't have any water lodging in it. So always have it free draining as much as possible, because I mean frost will crack. Um, even though they say they're frost proof or, or frost resistant, um, if the, the water expands at all when it freezes, it will crack um, terracotta or, or glazed terracotta uh, pots even concrete as well as that. So it's really just the, the whole thing is having uh, free draining as much as possible. All right. So always great to talk to you, Alton, and thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Good morning to you. And that's Alton Nesbeth there of Arabon. He is our horticulturalist, and that's about it from me. Uh, Emma produced, Ali looks after our content. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.